Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Right Track Podcast. This is our very first episode. I'm your host, Valencia Stokes, and today I have three amazing writers from the writing community. Could you introduce yourself, Miss Emma? Could you start us off? Certainly. Hi, I'm Emma Lombard, um, historic fiction um, author. I got my idea to write my historic fiction from my gra- from my grandmother. She told me a little story about how my three times great grandmother had eloped with an English sea captain against her family's wishes. And of course, that's just gold for getting a, a, a story started. So uh, that's where I started my journey. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That is great. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, EJ, could you start us off too? Um, so I'm EJ, uh, EJ Dawson specifically. I uh, should say that, shouldn't I? And <laughs> I write science fiction, fantasy and uh, romance, paranormal romances. My um, uh, love of fiction came from my mother who read Lord of the Rings out loud to us, not once, but <laughs> twice. And uh, I've been writing ever since I was a little girl. And I'm currently writing a few different things, including the Last Prophecy series, a, a fantasy uh, series about 21 books and novellas long, a, a sci-fi romance trilogy, which is part of a, a, a whole book series, uh, several standalones, including Behind the Veil, which is a gothic noir. And uh, at the moment, I'm also writing a yet unnamed dark fantasy. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And your mother, she read you Lord of the Rings twice. She sounds awesome. <laughs> my mother is a very fine lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish my parents would have read me something other than like, you know, Dr. Seuss books. But <laughs> um, Oxa, you're the last one. Could you start off? Uh, my name is Axa and I go under the pen name Luna's Musing. So if anyone seems to follow that and they know my real name now, I'm currently writing my first book. So been interesting and it's a very very early days in comparison to you other two ladies who have actually been published yes they are fabulous i'm so excited to have all three of you here uh i could not have asked for a better panel like i just getting to know you before we started recording i am so excited so i first wanted to start off with what exactly is the writing community most people that will be listening today they already know what it is but what if if we get a couple more people People who don't know we should be able to tell them so how do you view it personally um i think the writing community <clears throat> excuse me the writing community is actually quite subjective just like people's writing is um it's how people interpret it perceive it and plan to use it i suppose or or plan to um work with it work alongside it work with the people in the writing community so from my personal perspective the writing community for me has been a platform to connect with not only other writers, but publishing industry gurus, the experts, the agents, the publishers, the publishing houses, the big publishing houses, the smaller publishers. Um, and um, of course, uh, what I wasn't expecting, which I've loved, is the wealth of information and knowledge and blogs and articles and interviews that you can find from all of these different um, people online that point you in the right direction. And, you know, there's some, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, like with EJ, there's, there's lots of cautionary tales as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful to find out how to do these things, but it's also wonderful to find out what the pitfalls are and what to watch out for. So for me, with connecting with the writing community, it's... Um, 
I, I decided to take the stance that I was so terrified to start on the writing community or to start on social media full stop um, that once I got the hang of it um, and had a few terrifying um, couple of months, I was seeing the same sort of uh, cautionary approach from other new writers trying to, you know, tentatively wave their way into the writing community. So one of my lovely followers gave me the hashtag writing community mum and I just, it all just fell into place. And I thought, you know what, that, that's, that's my niche. Um, I, I actually, I am actually not yet published. I, that's, that's this year's goal. My um, first book is actually currently with my editor. So, you know, I was fumbling around about how do I fit into this writing community? And as I say, I am actually like a, a mum by nature. I've, I've, I've got four teenage boys and, and seeing all these poor newbies, you know, fumbling around in the dark like I was, I was like, okay, this is what I do. I can, I can help the new kids. I can wave them in. And as my platform grew bigger, give a shout out to them so that they got a, a, you know, a wider audience for people to go, oh, hey, there's somebody new. And start with my Twitter tips to, to help people learn how to navigate um, Twitter specifically in relation to the writing community. So that's how my little story grew on the writing community and um, and how I use it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Let's... I... Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to appreciate really quick how she was afraid to get into, you know, social media. But now she is like a social media guru teaching everybody what to do. Like she knows a lot more than me. And I'm so happy that we have her as our, our writing community mom because I needed one. <laughs> That's so true. I still go on like all the posts and like check like any of your tips. And I'm just like, Yo, you know what? That's a good idea. Like, got to save that. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, like, I think you, Emma, and like EJ are like the two proper people I followed like in the writing community. So you like massively helped out seeing what it actually is. Mm -hmm. So. Thank you. Yeah, it's a point of comfort, you know, because uh, you have so many people who are still finding their footing and whatnot. But, you know, you got two people who know what it is. They know what they're doing in the writing community. So it's like a real it's really nice to have a guiding hand in you, too. So thank you so much. You're welcome. No problem. Very welcome. <laughs> and then I'll kick it over to EJ. So. I noticed the writing community tag probably about six months ago um, and it just seems to have what it's done is collected a whole bunch of other tags that were actually being used uh, for writers to connect to other writers such as M writing, writer's life and things like that and it's kind of really snowballed into this wonderful group of people. But what I think it's really done that's integral to to so many different writers is not just communicating with uh, people like Emma or people like me or so many other very, very helpful uh, tweeters out there um, and sharing such a broad wealth of, of, of knowledge and community. But one of the things that it's done that's far more critical than people realise is there's a, this very wonderful undercurrent that has allowed people to uh, find others who are like them. What we do as writers is incredibly isolating, even if we have family. A lot of the time we're writing about a lot of very dark topics, a lot of conflict, a lot of subjects that are always going to, um, they're, they're there to drive the story, conflict drives story. But it's also very emotionally draining as a writer, particularly when you're first starting out. I mean, I remember the first time I finished my first uh, 
book and this was years and years ago and it's sitting on a shelf somewhere, I was I wept for weeks. It was such an emotional outburst. And even now when I finish a novel sometimes, if I've invested a deeper part of myself into it, it it's highly emotional and it's also very isolating. My husband doesn't write books. Um, none of my I don't have very many friends who've, who've written a book, let alone finished one. And here on Twitter, what we have is the support and, and the, the knowledge that there are other people out there like us and they might be worlds away. I mean, they, they, they could be in other countries and it, it doesn't matter. There is always somebody on the community who understands and gets you and that knowledge is incredibly comforting given what we commit to what we're, to our stories. Yes, yes. I the one thing that has stood out to me over these couple of weeks is that how we know how we have so much in common. I I freaked out for while I was writing by myself because I was like, is what I'm feeling normal? Am I just a bad writer? Am, am I just doing everything wrong? But then I see so many posts and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I I hate writing sometimes. And it's it's the worst. <laughs> and I just feel like I should give up. And I'm like, thank God I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'm the same. I sort of started off like Twitter in January. Mm-hmm. And I found out what the writing community was very early on. But I didn't know like Twitter was there was going to be there to help my writing at all mm-hmm. when I started like drafting it was kind of just like it literally took me like six months to write one chapter and I, I was kind of proud of myself but like I, I could see my writing gradually change since I started like Twitter in like two months I wrote like two chapters which might not be much for everyone else but mm-hmm. like considering how long it took me to write one chapter just like I can't believe it's actually helped my writing in like this kind of way and everyone's like always out there giving support and even um, I had someone, um, Holy Mel Edits, she's amazing. She just like read my first chapter and she's like, it's good. Do this, this, this. And she fully like critiqued the whole thing and it made it so much better. So yeah, it's just been, the support has been amazing. So that's why the support means everything to me. Honestly, the interaction, me bugging people for questions and then actually answering it without getting annoyed. Yes, yes. Everybody's been so supportive. I have yet to see someone get very very annoyed with us uh, <laughs> which I really appreciate because especially you yourself I've asked you a bunch of questions and you're just like yeah just don't worry about it and blah 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 and I'm like thank you thank you so much <laughs> and like don't overthink because I overthink so I know I know all the pitfalls we're falling into yes yes um now I want to know so the author platform is it, it is on Twitter and but most of the people that are following us now are writers as well. So that doesn't necessarily translate to readers. I want to know how you're you've been growing your social or your author platforms in outside of Twitter and uh, ways to pull in other people outside of the writing community to your Twitters. Um, so the, I do a couple of different things. One is I also have a Facebook page. Uh, the other thing that I do is I have a website with um, tags attached to it so that you can so that it brings in people that aren't necessarily on Twitter. There's actually a quite a large community that doesn't get on Twitter and on purpose. It's either not where their their genres at or they're not. Uh, they some of them are just unaware. The writing community is is there and so supportive. But some of them, it's a huge commitment to get involved in the writing. 
community and to actually have a high high level profile there's a lot involved i'm on twitter pretty much since i wake up until i go to bed i tweet at least three times a day i've engaged uh, platforms like hootsuite to take care of auto tweeting and i don't actually use that as a function yet but there's a lot of writers who do uh, and uh, you can tell because they they create inspirational quotes and quotes and uh, jokes and um, other little bits and pieces you see a lot of people using it to retweet uh, their books which is not how I use my platform but it is there is several different uh, ways in which to manage your Twitter platform uh, and that is selectively for one of them is the retweeting books and I've known social media managers to, to do it like that and there is uh, there is a lot to go for those sorts of things. They do, their plans do sell books in a specific manner. It's just not what I use my platform for. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, um, engaging um, Twitter, but non-Twitter community, I'm using my Twitter platform to find and inspire writers and mostly to uh, make sure that I'm encouraged too to keep going because there's a lot of people who on Twitter shout out their goals and stuff and it's very, very difficult when you don't have those sorts of things to celebrate to feel down and uh, I actually haven't released anything for over two years and there's been numerous reasons for that and that is going to change, I promise. <laughs> uh, but um, it, it, it can get really down and I like to think that I'm using not just my uh, Twitter platform but my website, my Facebook page to uh, encourage authors through all the steps that come between because celebrating things like getting an agent or publishing a book or any of those things, they're incredibly rare and we focus on them because they're the, they're the epitome, they're the goal of what we want but it's the day in and day out stuff, it's the sustaining stuff and that's what I like to think that I'm bringing to the community, it's the stuff that's like this is a hard slide this is not easy. This is not something that you celebrate and then the world falls before your feet. You do this day in and day out for years and it should be about the support of the community. It should be about enjoying your writing journey and I like to think that my Twitter and my Facebook page, more, most importantly my website, is what that that's the message that I'm putting out there with the things that I post. Mm, yes, yes. Um, um, Emma? Well, um, I had no idea at all how to even go about this until I tripped across a blog by Jane Friedman that had a very enticing title that was something like, um, should you build a, or building your author platform even though you're not published? And I was like, oh, guess what? That's me. And um, I had a read to, to find out should you, shouldn't you, is it possible, is it, you know, you kind of feel like a bit of a fraud going, okay, I've got an author website now, and I've had a few people go, great, where's the link to your book? And you're like, um, yeah, about that. But I didn't reinvent the wheel here. The, the um, blog that I put together about building a, a, an author platform leaned very heavily and points directly to Jane Friedman's more concise blog. But so I actually went on, and, and I suppose this is um, like anything in, in life. You find someone who you relate to, uh, find an expert who you relate to, and you go with that. Because there's lots of different experts out there with lots of different different opinions and the way things go. You've got to kind of just choose the one that feels right for you. And for me, Jane Friedman's blog about um, setting up an author platform, pre-publishing, really resonated. So I followed her advice, even though I... I kicked and screamed at every stage along the way um going no nah, I'm not going to do that so it was um you know 
I built up slowly on Twitter first, even though her uh, advice was get an author website. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that just yet. No, not yet. And then the more I was on Twitter and things were growing, I'm like, do you know what I do? She was right. I do need another branch. I do need, because people were asking, where's your website? And it's like, you, you then so, it sort of takes a bit of the fizzle out of you trying to be so professional that you don't have a website, an author website, where you're saying that you're a writer, you're an author. So I followed her advice and, and it, uh, about how to set, not just, not, not technically how to set it up, but the sort of content you could have on an author website when you're not published. Super helpful stuff. And it is possible. I didn't think it was, but it is. So I got that going and tentatively put it out into the writing community to go, oh my gosh, you know, every time I've taken a new step, I have been utterly terrified. Um, and the writing community, I asked for some critique on my website and the writing community responded beautifully. And of course I had a few um website gurus who do this for a living and they were probably snickering behind their hands at, at some of my rookie mistakes but <laughs> but they were actually so helpful in coming forward and telling me how to fix them um and um i had uh, that that day was just full of dm messages from all the wonderful helpful folks who had suggestions for me about what i could tweak what i could change my settings that i should alter so then of course your confidence grows when you've got people rallying around you and, and uplifting you and going, you know, it's great. It's wonderful. It looks good. Um, as well, I, I actually respond really positively to critique. So mm -hmm. anytime anyone says, oh, this didn't work for me or what about that, that didn't work, I, I, I fully take that on board. doesn't necessarily mean to make a change, but I'm mindful that there's people out there who that is an issue for, you know. Um, and then, of course, once I have the author website, no one's looking at it. And then I'm realizing how, and let's of course I go back to Jane Friedman's article, and it's like, you really should have a blog to drive traffic to your author <laughs> website. And I'm like, I'm no, I'm no, no, I'm not blogging, no. And the amount of times I actually said it out loud, no, I'm not blogging. And then one day I was just like, oh, okay, I realize now I actually have to blog. Um, but then again, it's that self, it's that confidence um, issue of who's going to want to read my work. Who's going to want to read my ramblings? Who's going to, you know, who on earth is ever going to even find my blog to read it? Um, but by this time, because I've actually taken it slowly along my journey, I was, I found my niece on Twitter as the writing community mum. I had put my author website up that, you know, was loud and proud that I'm a historical author. And then, so it just felt natural for me to draw on those two strong points to then blog about. So many of my um, first few blogs have been um, Twitter tips for newbies, uh, setting up your author platform, how to find and use beta readers, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, I just, I've decided to um, talk about and use and show what I'm comfortable with. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm not trying to be a smart ass and, and, and try to come up with something brand new and innovative. Um, I'm just trying to be as authentic as possible to show me and show um, show me in a in a yeah in an authentic light. But the goal with my blog is the same purpose as Twitter, which is actually to help others. Ah. And so um, so far, um, it's growing quite consistently steadily my traffic is growing to my um, author website through my helpful blogs um and so yeah I feel um 
vindicated and, and quite pleased with, with the, the way things have progressed. Uh, but that's only thanks to the writing community, of course, who have been supporting that journey of mine. Oh, that is so exciting. You're an inspiration. You you do everything kicking and screaming, but you do it anyways. These are words to live by. Uh, uh, also, I've been to your website. It has the the ocean in the background, right? Yes. I um, love it. I love thank it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And do you want to know the irony of it? Um, as, although my uh, series is set on a ship, I cannot even step foot on a jetty without being seasick. So... Um, <laughs> It's really ironic that I have a moving sea background on my website. <laughs> but I know I can have the giggle at that. It's about the closest I can come to the ocean is to have it on my website. <laughs> um, you guys both gave, like, beautiful answers. Like, they were very helpful. Mine is going to be the complete opposite, which is what you should not do. So, <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Because <laughs> so, it's very, very true. Like, I just, just like, remember, I, I only started Twitter in January, but like, I actually put up a blog like back in 2012. So what's that, like seven years ago? I didn't have a Facebook for it. I didn't have a Twitter for it. I didn't have an Instagram for it. I'm just like, I'm going to blog. I'm just going to put all my feelings out there. Put some fiction, put whatever I want. So I was like, I, I started off very, very regular. I've got to say, I was proud of myself. Like, I, I swear, like, a year went by, I didn't post anything. Like, I think I put, like, one up a year. Then, like, I got very sad for a long time. Like, start updating very regularly. Got to, got Twitter. And I'm like, what do I even want to do? What do I want to write about? Mm. So it came back to, like, I'm kind of just putting that on the backseat. Because a lot of the stuff on there is kind of, like, now I've changed it up. to It's a little bit of research what I actually want to write about. Um, still, it's a complete mess. I'm not going to lie at all like I hope hope I hope one day I will sort that out today is not that day but so <laughs> I have about I 12 want... blogs oh I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no like trust me that I don't know if like your blogs will be better than mine but like mine are absolute messes and I think I've spoken a few times on Twitter about how my blog is a mess and like, bless them they feel like people are like oh like help them like read this to increase like um like like oh what was it someone's just recently sent me like something about how to increase traffic and like little tips to blog and my like, oh bless you guys but it's, it's just like so poor right now so I'm going to focus on drafting a little bit more and then I want to focus on actually building my platform maybe actually updating regularly would be a nice thing once in a while but mm. it's just one step at a time Mm. Yeah, now that people are breathing down your neck, it should be a little <laughs> bit easier or harder. I'm not sure. I have about 12 blogs somewhere on the internet, and I have not updated them in about 10 years. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. I can't lie. <laughs> so, growing your social or your author platform, um, it's mostly nine times out of ten online now like you can't go on billboards you can't put it in a magazine or something and get guaranteed eyeballs on it so it's all online and i know we have all seen some horrible missteps what are the pitfalls of social media um i think for me personally part of what being terrified about going online for was opening myself up uh, vulnerably um to the the trolls the nastiness the people who, um, you know, deliberately go online to cause trouble or um, the 
as I say, I actually accept critique quite well. I actually enjoy it. But there's a big difference between, you know, a critique and an insult. And I didn't think that I was ready for um, the negativity side of social media. Um, but as I fumbled my way through um, uh, Twitter, certainly at the beginning, uh, and I learned all these wonderful buttons like unfollow and block and, <laughs> and stop block, um, I got a bit more confident that I could actually fine-tune my um, followers um, to be like exactly like EJ said, like-minded people to me, people who are genuine writers, um, genuine creatives, uh, not someone who's just trying to tag along for, for follows. And um, um, so once I got more confident with, but again, I made mistakes because I, I, you know, blocked people when I had intended to just hush up a particular maybe conversation that I was tagged in that I wasn't a part of. And, you know, so I'm like, oh, I'll just stop that. So I'll just block that. And then you suddenly see a little bit later down the line, someone's like, Emma's blocked me on Facebook. And I don't know what I did to insult her. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, I didn't mean to do that. Hang on, back, you know, fact check, fact check. I'm blocked, I'm blocked. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, so I made, I did, I made a couple of mistakes like that. Um, and of course, then I feel terrible. I feel so awful um, because it, it, it wasn't personal. It wasn't what I actually had intended to do. And so, again, that's where my new Twitter tips for newbies came in. It was because I literally fumbled my way through and made all these mistakes um, and um, um, wanted to uh, help other people avoid making the same mistakes because. Uh, you know, inadvertently blocking that poor person. And as well, I also accidentally blocked someone during PitMad. I, uh, I had retweeted their, their, um, their pitch and then went to mute the conversation so that I wouldn't see every other 50 million retweets of that, that particular one. But I blocked her instead. And, and then suddenly I, but I couldn't remember who it was and I didn't know where to go find it to unblock her. And I'm like, oh, that's going to seem so weird to her that I retweeted her and then blocked her. And, <laughs> it's just, and of course, when you're, like EJ says, it's quite isolating. So this all happened at home, alone. I had no one else around me. I'm yelling out to the cat. I blocked her. With a bit more digging research, what have you? Uh, I think I. Uh, this was very early days, and I think that was the poor person who then went on it. Oh my gosh, Emma's blocked me on social. On, 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 okay, I, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't say anything. I just quietly unblocked her and refollowed her. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. So embarrassed. Um, so it's it's yes, there's so the, there are pitfalls out there that can happen to you. To me, it's the negativity and the nastiness. Uh, but once you learn how to control that with the Twitter's functions, I found it's it's better and and easier and more healthier, better for your mental health as well. But I am also guilty of you know creating those pitfalls and and um, uh, but it was through pure inexperience and accident. But now that I have a better handle on it, um, it's it's a matter of sharing those faux pas out there with people through my blogs going. And as well, to say to people, if you have accidentally made these mistakes, 
unintentionally, it's okay. You know, don't beat yourself up about it. Don't quit. Don't cancel your Twitter account because of it. Don't stop being an author because of it, a writer because of it. Um, you know, it, these little things happen and the world isn't going to end because you stepped on some Twitter toes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. EJ, do you have any any stories to tell us? Ah, uh, a few. <laughs> um, I think that I think that Emma Emma's right. You can you can make a lot of mistakes and you can make them easily and accidentally because it's it's a bit of a minefield out there, particularly for new authors and what new new writers and if you're not used to the community and the way things work uh, often I find the best method with uh, how you manage your Twitter is to if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything nice mm-hmm. like don't say any, don't don't say anything at all mm-hmm. um, but I believe that there's some circumstances that fall outside of that so I will you know I'm, I'm like Emma I will mute comp retweets that I do uh, but I've actually found that Twitter in all its infinite program wisdom will actually block and mute people without my consent um, so twitter's a bit of a weird a bit, yeah twitter's a little bit of a weird um a weird social media platform i actually lost uh, i unfollowed someone and i didn't i didn't unfollow them and they're actually good like i've been communicating with them for six months now uh they're you know a really really lovely person and he actually sent me a message saying um did I say something to upset you? And I said, no, why, why on earth would you think that? And he said, well, you unfollowed me. And I went, I did not. Yeah. I, excuse me. I did not. Wow. Uh, so I went back and had, and had to check that because uh, Twitter had done that, but there's other circumstances whereby, and I do have my horror stories. So I think one of the reasons why I handle my platform the way I do, which is that I don't follow everyone back. And I have a few different reasons for that. One is that I, I will follow, I don't care how many followers that someone has. If they tweet often and engage with my tweets and they tweet quality content that I want to engage with, then I'll follow them back. But I think a lot of people are very intimidated by the writing community and by Twitter and and, and by all the notifications and things. And after a while, you learn that there are programs that allow you to help with that. So I have an app on my phone that allows me to sort of monitor uh, who is following me so I can sort of follow them back. Uh, So I often have people who, uh, quite often people will make a Twitter platform and then that's all they actually do with it. They make one and they don't actually tweet anything. So I was followed by somebody who had half a million followers the other day. And that sounds really cool, except he had less than 100 tweets. Mm. He was not actually set. All he was doing was was following other people back. And if that's what you want to do with your Twitter platform, you know, everyone has different ways of how they manage their Twitter platform and uh, what they do with it. So one of the reasons that I chose to handle my Twitter platform the way I did was um, I hadn't, I had a Twitter platform since about 2013, I think, uh, which is when I started my writing, writing journey, when I was inspired to write the last prophecy series. And uh, I just sort of had it sitting there in the background because I wasn't really engaging with it. And then I decided to, to, to do that again when I picked up, um, when I, when I, about eight months, eight months, a year, a year ago now, maybe. And so, uh, one of the things that I found very early on was, uh, I had somebody follow me and I auto followed back because it's what you did. You're supporting everybody by following them back. And this person then turned around and sent me a DM and it said, um, Actually, sorry, I should say that's a little out of order. Um, they said, hey, you should follow me back. And I thought, oh, yeah, I should. I'm on a different time zone. And I apologize for being on the wrong time zone. Mm-hmm. 
And then they said, well, you should be responding more quickly than that. And I'm like, it was 4 a.m. for me. I was asleep. What do you want? And uh, the next thing they said to me was, well, we should we should uh, buy each other's books in support. And I started to look at this and go, okay, this isn't right. And then they said that we should review each other's books. Now, if you know anything about the self-publishing industry or, in fact, uh, the publishing industry, Amazon has a very, very firm rule, and that is do not swap reviews. And the amount of Twitter users I'm seeing who are doing this is startlingly scary but I knew this already and had known it for years and I said that's against Amazon's terms and conditions and I made it very clear to this person who then promptly turned around and said that not only were they going to unfollow me they were going to find all three of my books and leave a really poor review now we all know how important reviews are and the idea that me with I think I've got less than 20 reviews on not altogether I think I said about 40 odd reviews of all all of my books on Amazon and Goodreads and the idea that somebody would just come along and ruin it just because I hadn't broken the rules with them was really shocking. Like I was, I felt threatened. I felt harassed. I felt like this was a very ugly side of the writing community that I hadn't been aware of before. And one of the first things I did was I blocked this person and then I called the behavior out on Twitter and I said, no, I'm not doing this. I am not, this is not good enough. Um, and it was one of the times very early in the days when uh, the writing community tag was really starting to, to trend. And that tweet alone actually, uh, I think, got a thousand likes or something. And it was because I'd, I'd stood up for myself and I said, you know what, this is my platform. This is how I'm going to engage with it. Don't threaten me and don't br- try to break these rules because this is not acceptable behavior. And I think that's one of the things that my platform really stands for is, what is and is not acceptable behaviour. There's been other instances where there's an uh, an uglier side of the writing community, people subtweeting against competing authors or s- stuff like that. And I just want to make it really abundantly clear that that is not the kind of behaviour that I want to see or engage with. I'm not interested in it and I have very little patience for it. And I think that it's important that the writing community know that there are people who are not nice here. And the best thing that you can do is call them out on their behavior because as a community, we want to protect what we have here and there are going to be bad apples and it's better that these people be um, very quickly identified. One of the other ways that uh, we found amongst our mitts, and this is absolutely awful. Emma, I don't know if you were around for this. We discovered that uh, a couple of us discovered that we were following a pedophile. Oh yes, I was yeah. in the writing that was community. That my first week yeah. on Twitter. My first, yeah. very first week on, well, as in active on Twitter, yes. Yeah, and it was really awful because I hadn't followed him, but somebody just turned around and and this was the rea- knee-jerk reaction from the writing community was to somebody stated, if you are following at whatever his name was, um, he is a pedophile. He's he's promoting pedophilia uh, on his webpage. These are the and they showed me the proof. And I went and looked at myself and I went, oh, yeah, no, this is not good. The knee-jerk reaction part of this, and this is the auto-follow follow part of this, was that this, this person and then a whole bunch of other people who knew her then said, if you are following this person and I see you following this person and I follow you, I'm going to unfollow you because I don't need I don't support pedophilia. Nobody supports pedophilia. Right. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but the knee-jerk reaction to unfollow people who weren't aware of who they were following mm-hmm. uh, 
represents an undercurrent of a nastier side of the yeah. writing community that's that's really quite scary. And a lot of these things, because you know, you got two hundred and eighty characters. All right, this isn't a conversation where you can talk about it or read body language or anything else. You have 280 characters in order to relay a concept and make sure it has the right tone. And that's not easy. That's complicated, particularly when you're dealing with some of these very difficult and complicated uh, issues. And I think it's worth telling people, yes, this does happen. And yes, you do need to be a little bit careful. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's. I'm glad we know that now. I didn't... I knew that you should make sure of watch who you're following and i'm starting to do that a lot more i know there was like it was you know just a a train of following just for a couple weeks and i'm still kind of on it a little bit but i have found the people that i trust and uh yeah it's it's it that's a scary notion to know that you could be following somebody so crazy Oxa? Oh, I was going to sort of say the same thing, like just piggyback off like EJ's and yours, because mm-hmm. I did the same thing with like follow trains and everything. Mm-hmm. So I was, I, I like, I remember like how I kind of like got a little bit more followers. Like I, I got, I got on the follow train. This was like before I even had like 1K followers. And then like I just saw like lots of people aren't following me. And obviously they're going to do that. They've had no interaction with me, whatever. I just kind of like put up this tweet, like kind of salty, just like, what is with Twitter and this constant unfollowing? Like it was a salty like tweet. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, but, and then out of nowhere, I don't know why, just a lot of people started following me from a very salty tweet, which I never usually do. Mm. Um, and then I realized like, I just can't be auto following people back. Like mm. you're not going to get like any of the interaction you want. You're not going to, like, it's just going to clog up your feed. So I've, I've had to like sort of go one by one, look at how people interact, like mm-hmm. actually see that I can get on with them. Cause a lot of them are bots as well. Like you gotta be careful. So it's like, it's much longer this way. But just follow people who want to follow you. Like numbers really don't matter. Interaction is what matters. And there's like a few other things as well. Just like I try not to follow people who just constantly retweet. Like they don't have any interaction. It's just like constant retweeting because I'm 100% sure they're bots. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just small things like that. Even like people like who do like the like mass following and unfollowing. Just why? Like and they're clearly paying other people. I just... I don't know if like the paying and like getting bots to do it is the best thing, but each to their own. Yes, that's the worst thing. Writing community, if you are following people and then unfollowing people, that is that's a strike one for a lot of people. Like they will <laughs> never follow you again and they will remember you. Thank you, <laughs> I one of the social media pitfalls I've seen is that, you know, since the community kind of flows with like booktubers and uh you know reviewers and agents and editors and i've seen some writers like jump down the throat of an agent because maybe that agent likes sci-fi and doesn't want your romance novel and they'll be like well why don't you like sci-fi and i've seen that happen i'm like you need to chill out like why some have you seen people do that (laughs) oh yeah and you just it's it's like it's um it's professional and career suicide yes. if you're going to start yelling at, at <laughs> agents and publishers online. I mean, um, you really, I mean, yes, uh, you know, EJ has a point when you are taking a firm stance on something, if you have an opinion about something and it's it's um, for, a, for a cause that, that um, supports the writing community. But you, if you, if you then start to... Um, 
be verbal against the, the, the essentially the agents and publishers of the top tiers of the, the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. are, you, you know, just like some um, Asha said, you, you do remember people, you remember the unfollowers, and you don't think that the agents are going to remember that you yelled at them on Twitter, <laughs> right. and then you want to put your submission in, and they're going to go, hmm, I remember this person. Yes. It's, it, it's, um, uh, that's what I was saying earlier about, you know, um, trying to maintain my professional integrity online and then my mistakes were making that awfully not happen and, and it was embarrassing and all the rest of it. Um, so my intention was always still there. Um, I think if, you, if you're planning to go down the traditional publishing route, um, I'm not saying you need to suck up to agents and to publishers. Still be yourself, right. but certainly don't turn on that critical um, uh, turn of voice with people because uh, people do remember. I mean, I know publishers are really busy people and what have you, but they too, like us, are online and trying to grow their, their presence and exposure and what have you. And, and like, you know, you... you yeah, I, I don't know about other people, but negativity sticks with me mm-hmm. more. Like um, I will remember something more be- or a person more or a Twitter handle more or, uh, because of, uh, of a negative interaction than, um, yeah, it, it's just a, it, a cautionary tale. That, that is a social, well, I think that's, again, is one of those social media pitfalls that you can end your career before you've even started it by the way you choose to act um, on social media. They say the world is small. The Twitter world is smaller. That's all they need to yeah. realize. <laughs> I think this conversation proves it as well, just where we're all living and how we're talking to each other. So it's definitely small. Yes. 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 Uh, it's amazing at the same time. Don't get me wrong. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> well, I have to go into the classic question of what is your approach to outlining? Oxa, can you start us off with that? So I I like kind of requested this because I I need help like outlining like I always say like I'm a pants and for ages I'm just like oh it's just what I am I have to accept it I just need to write so I did like this massive purge of like a Google document of like things I thought I could use just because it was in my mind and again it's just like none of it's in chronological order it's my characters but some completely different things I haven't even thought about are happening mm. so I had to have like a massive purge about what I actually want in like my um work in progress and. Yeah, so I think I narrowed it down. Like, I actually have, like, 12K of usable words. Other than that, everything else, just, like, I trashed it or just, like, put it in a completely different folder away from me. So um, I had to, like, re-outline. But even now that I have an outline, it's been, like, massively hard to, like, see where that outline is going still. So I was just wondering if you guys have any, like, what your outlining process usually is. When my... um... Work in progress got a bit bigger and more technical. I realized I needed to start writing down my characters, their physical descriptions, <laughs> their traits and what have you. But I kind of did that as I went along. I didn't sort of pre-prepare it and do it beforehand. Um, I did it more as a, oh, side note, because what color was his hair again? Um, <laughs> had a reference document next to me to be able to do that. And then um, sort of three quarters of the way through my book, I realized that, I was using uh, a writing historical fiction, um, loosely based, um, well, realistically based in a, in a specific time frame and a timeline. And I realized if I didn't have the dates in there, um, it was 
because it was a ship moving around the ocean and, and all the rest of it, I needed to actually quite have, you know, very specific signposts of where in the ocean are they now? Which island are they on now? And what date? How much time frame had time had passed between, you know, the, the, the chapters? Because, and then what that triggered for me was, um, oh, so, but I've said that, you know, she ate some mint humbugs. And one of my beta readers who's a historian goes, uh, well, mint humbugs were actually um, invented before the date that you've got. During this date and this date, they were stopped being manufactured by the, you know, French monks at the monastery in France who were actually the only source of mint humbugs back in the day. Uh, so there's no way your character could possibly meet, eat mint humbugs. And I'm like, uh, uh, look, I love that sort of critique back going, thank you, you fact-checked for me. That, thank I, you, looked, I looked it up and went, oh, yeah, they were way back when, so mint humbugs have been around forever. And, uh, you know, and he said to me, you need to find some other sweet, some other lolly that she could have eaten that was in your time frame. And um, so... Then it was integral for me to then have the dates written down so that I could fact check my um, like what was actually around and invented uh, and that sort of thing back in those days. But as I said, that was a work in progress as I was going along and as I was getting my beta reader feedback that um, uh, I realized I needed to actually have a more constructive document next to me that kept it all in order for me because my brain, because as the story was getting bigger and longer and it was turning into a big family saga and all the rest of it, it was too much to try and keep it all inside my head. So actually that was the book. I've got a four book series. Um, and then um, book two was a bit of a pants, half pants, half outline. And then I decided with, book three and book four to go more of a strict outline. But then I found, um, Axel, what you'd had was I had this outline and then by the time I started writing, the story went in a totally different direction. <laughs> what I was, I'm like, well, how does that work? And so I was you know, weighing up the debate of is outlining um, worth it if your story is going to change that much or is it my lack of... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Discipline to actually stick to my plan, or but it just felt because I had been a pantser up till this stage, it felt more organic and more natural to go with the story and the characters. Anyway, with book four, I really clamped down a lot more um, and decided, no, no, I'm really going to try this outline um, business, um, especially and now knowing as I had from all the others how important the timeline was historically speaking. Um, so, uh, and then to be able to research what actually happened in those time frames and jot those notes down so that I could incorporate that sort of stuff into my story. Um, so I've used a bit of both, but on the whole, I would on I don't go into the full details of like character art development, story developments. I literally, yeah. it's sort of like a timeline that I write uh, down as my outline and go with the flow from that. Um, so I don't know if that's of any help to you. Oh, it definitely helps, especially right. in your genre. It would help massively. But yeah. I, I just yeah. I did this thing recently as well where I had like this chapter fully in my mind. I, I wrote it completely, and then as soon as I finished, I'm like, well, that doesn't go at all. And I just had to like yeah. go back and just rewrite the whole chapter and just change like that whole character. It just like, went, took a massive U-turn. I'm like, great, that's all sticking then. Yeah. So I just had to like rewrite so many chapters after I'm like, okay, just gonna go with the flow then. 
I'll be truthful. Once they start talking about research, I'm like, uh, it's a fantasy. Uh, it's a, it's actually a fantasy. I don't really have to do any research. <laughs> oh, I hate myself because I have to do so, like so much research about like because I don't like fight or anything. I'm, I, I say people can't. I'm a lover and not a fighter. So like I need to like research. Like I had like this massive long conversation with like Ty and like Sean Bay and everything. Like just like all different fighting techniques. I'm, I'm like taking notes from this Twitter chat like. And I just realized, they made me realize even more how much research I have to do before I can fully start writing. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good that you got the writing community and you got people who actually probably know what they're talking about, too. <laughs> They've got, like, some story. They, they always have some kind of story to tell as well, which really helps. But, yes. like, makes me feel even more nervous. They're great. They're great. EJ, they're how brilliant. do you outline? Okay, so this is going to come across a little bit strangely. I'm going to talk about a few of my different projects because, to be honest with you, um, I know I have this 21-book series that I'm I'm writing and um, for the most part I have in my head what I've written for each of them. Uh, but every time I go to actually start uh, the specific book, I will sit there and say, okay, so this is my word count. These are how many words per chapter. This is the key points I want to address in every chapter. And I go through and I write maybe two, three lines about each of them. Um, and that's enough for, for that particular, for that particular series. But I have alternate moments where, um, I wrote a book in 25 days. Uh, it was 80,000 words and it was a, it's the one that's, uh, on my, profile at the moment, which is behind the veil. What happened was that, uh, I actually hire a professional editor to, uh, to, uh, help me with this series. And he's a developmental and a copy editor and really, really great. One of the things he is, is very expensive and I needed to put it on hold for a little while. And I suddenly found myself free to work on other projects, but I just got this idea in my head and it was like, I was possessed and she wouldn't shut up. And I just sat down (laughs) And I just started writing, writing this this new character in a new setting. It was a gothic noir, 1920s, a woman who can see between the veil of life and death, and who offers comfort to grieving war window, widows, um, because often the you know their their sons and their husbands went off to die in war, and they never saw them again. And she gives them comfort comfort and lets them know that they've, you know, passed on and, uh, they, you know, died thinking of them or whatever it happens to be. And then a stranger comes into her, her life, raising things from the past that scare her. And she just had such a wonderful personality. I I could not write anything else for that 25 days. It was an absolute, it wasn't like nano. It was just absolutely full on. And, uh, I just totally pants the whole entire thing. I had no idea what was going to happen chapter to chapter. (laughs) What made this book really exciting was that I didn't know what was going to be happening from chapter to chapter. I'd finish a chapter and went, (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I like that. I have to start the next chapter. Oh no, it's 1am. I've got work. I better go to bed. Uh, and I think that that's, that's, good for standalones for random stories that you just need to get out of your system when the when the muse bites you mm-hmm. you know you say yes you don't ever <laughs> say no to the muse you always say yes so she beat yeah. me really hard and i just went with it um my dark fantasy has been a lot more interesting because uh for the first time i have always been very much of the mind that i write single point of view and i think that for single point of view you can get away with pantsing and 
and that's absolutely fine. And I know that for a lot of writers, that's not how they do it. And that's down to the quality of their writing. It's down to how well they know the actual progression of a plot and how, how it should run. So all the different stages that go into it. And if you've done any research or training on any of those things or a lot of reading, you don't have to have done the courses. You don't have to have done the degrees. A lot of reading will get you this anyway, but it's about pace. It's about having a hook at the beginning and end of every chapter. Uh, and it's about how you get to the final conflict and then, uh, and it's, it's progression and then it's character development and then how you, you finish that, that story off. Uh, so for my, for my dark fantasy series, Dusk's Chosen, I've actually got an Excel spreadsheet, which includes, it's a trilogy and it includes, uh, the, progression of the story with uh, all sorts of different things. And I actually have to credit this method uh, from uh, Gareth Powell, who is absolutely lovely. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Uh, he's a wonderful person. And he actually mentioned using Excel and I wasn't really comfortable using it until I started writing this multiple POV. And mm. what I've been able to do is I, because I have so many different characters. So I have, I have a six, 12 actually because uh, it's on two sides of a war um 12 points of view to try to manage and lots of them will will become stronger or less strong as the series progresses and i don't so think of it as a game of thrones crossed with uh, i don't know if you know the anime series castlevania mm -hmm. um so uh, set in quite a dark gothic sort of world and so there's all these sort of different things to to bring together and I've just found that having set all of this up makes it a lot easier to write but one of the key things to note about plotting is that often there's something else that um bites the author and it's uh that the story you know what happens now once you know for certain what happens a little of the luster is actually removed from the writing process it's it's not as fun to write if you actually know everything that happens. It's like reading the synopsis of a movie and then deciding, oh, yeah, it's not really for me, mm -hmm. except it's your own writing you're talking about. So I think pantsing has a lot of allure because you don't know what's going to happen exactly. Uh, you kind of sit down and you don't you, you don't know what it's going to be. So it's, 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 you know, it's very engaging for you as a, a reader. But if you are working on a bigger project and you do need that structural guide, which I think a lot of early writers – need and I don't mean novice writers so people just learning the the actual craft of sitting down and typing which for a lot of people is actually quite hard to sit there for an hour at a time and type um but once you get past that and you have these these bigger stories with multiple points of view it's important to to have that outline so I really recommend excel and if you don't want to use excel and you only have one point of view I recommend uh, pacing yourself by saying, okay, I need roughly X amount of words per chapter. So for my shorter books and my novellas, I'll have about 3000 words a chapter and I'll, uh, have just a word document with two pages, uh, marking each chapter and what each chapter has in it, uh, to watch the plot progression, which often finds you moving events around in your head. Cause you kind of see it as a movie. And sometimes you realize actually that bit where they're doing the train chase doesn't really work. It's going to need to be later on to continue the climb towards the, uh, the critical conflict in the book. Um, so, you know, and you can just pants, you can just sit there and pants, but sometimes, and I find this a lot with the beta reading that I, they, I offer, uh, you critical parts of the story end up coming in too quickly or too late, uh, 
to to the plot's progression and it doesn't serve the author very well. So multiple different ways of doing that and uh, it's up to you, but ultimately it's also about the story itself and you might be selling yourself short if you aren't plotting. Mm. You are my uh, pantsing like hero. I'm like in awe. Like I've just been nodding like for every like minute you speak. Obviously you can't see me. I'm just like nodding along. Oh, but this makes so much sense. Like I'm like I don't like I don't even know what to do with all this information. So I have to re-listen to this, write it down, and actually get to writing again. Yes. But that's all been very helpful in everyone's term. Oh, thank you, thank you for saying that. Wow. Twenty-five days. Let me step I, my so game upstairs. up. <laughs> Oh, this is the this is the thing. I put aside a just to quickly explain. I put aside a project that um this is an interesting journey and it might open an interesting topic for conversation. I am self-published now. That is not to say that I'm on either side of this particular fence because I don't think there should be a fence at all, and I disagree with that because I'm actually querying the story that I wrote in 25 days because it is a standalone book. I started self-publishing because I was right. I, I, I knew that there was a story inside me and I actually had something really awful happen to me. I was uh, misdiagnosed by a doctor who told me that I could not have children. And when he said that to me, I spent a lot of time being very emotionally uh, discontent because if I couldn't have children, I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And at that point in time, I wasn't in a job that I liked very much. I was uh, very unhappy with a lot of aspects of my life and I didn't know what I was going to do about it was very confrontive and I was by this stage I was 30 and you know a lot of time you hit 30 you just think you're supposed to have everything you're supposed to have your shit together <laughs> sorry yes. but no, you no. are mm-hmm. and, and 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 I didn't and I went back to the one thing in my life that wasn't my husband that had made me happy and it was writing and I started playing around with a different a few different ideas and and whatnot and I had actually written a paranormal romance years before and lost it but rather than go back to that idea I said I need something new and I came up with this idea about how you have people who are standing in certain places in certain times across the world and they have the ability to do one small thing that changes everything so and I I, there's a lot of aspects about the world that I don't like. The wars, the world wars were one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the atomic bomb and what it was used for was one of them. So my story is in a fantasy setting, but it has those moments in it where people say, well, we're going to use this for a good thing because, you know, we have to or whatever their reasons are. And then you have other people there at the same time going, well, hang on a minute. That's not entirely true. So you have this interest interesting conflict where both sides believe they're right and the other is wrong. And my entire series goes through that as a progression um, to do that. But because it is so massive, it is not, it's not a small series. There are 10 books and 11 novellas. It is mm-hmm. really, really big. Uh, I just knew no, no, no traditional publisher was going to take it on. So I went, that's it. I'll self-publish. And I'm actually very glad I've done that because what it's allowed me to do is to learn a couple of different things. Firstly, my first novella sucks. Um, I'll be, I'll be perfectly oh, oh. honest. I need to go back and rewrite it to make it more in line with my current writing. Uh, one of the most flattering things that my editor said to me uh, when I was working through the series is that he said to me, so there's two novellas, the first book, another novella, and then another book. Um, that book um, he actually has recently started looking at. He came back to me. And to give you an idea, the novella just before it, he turned around and said to me, you need to rewrite the entire ending. It sucks. And I just went, um, uh, okay, I'll, I'll do that then. I'll do that. And then I'd given him the next book in the series because I already knew what was happening with it. And he came back to me and said, no changes. 
And that was incredible. Like, yeah, there was uh, copyright and, and grammar and a whole bunch of other little things that needed to be changed, but the plot and everything else in it, Everything was is it was exciting. He was engaged. He said that we need to tweak a few little things in regards to character development, but overall the pacing and everything it was great. And it was at that point in time that I knew that I could start querying because I felt like I had a story that was good enough. So in fact, self-publishing has allowed me to have a story that I felt was worth publishing as opposed to just a really great idea that I will spend, you know, the next 10, 15 years writing um, and, and still self-publish it because it is this big monstrous, um, <laughs> you know, elder, outer elder god of a writing project as opposed to something really simple like behind the veil where it's got great characters and great concepts and is a really um enjoyably unsettling read i can't wait to read it i'm ready i'm gonna read it yeah honestly the second that's self-published you gotta hit me up because i need to read it now I think it's really interesting what you've been saying about like just like mindsets and like some of it doesn't even come down to skill and everything. It's just how the author is feeling at the time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to make this like a little bit more nerdy and mention like manga again. Yes. But like even like, yeah, even when like I've been telling Valencia to read like Berserk. So sort of when Berserk started, apparently the author was like quite like depressed and in like a bad state of mind. And like from that time to like now when he's writing, you see like a clear tonal shift. So it's just amazing how much the writing style can change just in a matter of a few years, depending on just how the author feels about it. And I think mm-hmm. Game of Thrones is a good, another good example of that because it's been spanned for so long. What do you think? I feel like I've heard things like that a lot about writers being depressed and whatnot. Do you think it's because writers like really feel and have a lot of self-reflection that there's so many uh, people are so emotional and stuff? I think that is, I think that's like a quite a big part of it. Cause again, I think I can't remember who said this either, Emma or EJ, it is a very isolating thing. So you're by yourself a lot and you just get really inside your own head. And even for me, like I got, I had this thing when I'm, when I was like in uni, I was around people 24 seven and I don't know why that really got to me. Like being quite an introverted person, just being around people like constantly all the time. It just really got to me. And when I go to work functions now and I'm with a lot of people, it just like, it, it drives me a little bit insane. So I, I realized like, even when, that's what I'm saying, when I got like a little bit sad, I was just churning out like on my blog, like all this like kind of like email poetry and everything. And it's like, it did like change a lot of the things I wrote. I was just like writing small things, poetry, like a little bit of fiction. And now that like my like headspace is different, I can write something that's longer. And even though it's still like, it might be a little bit dark, like, I kind of know what I want to get by the end of it. Yeah. I don't know about everyone else. Um, Emma? I was... I, I, had one, I don't know that I'm... Um, how do I say? I, I'm, I'm more, maybe more mature than everyone else in this conversation and have, have had lots of life experiences to um maybe build a, a, a bit more of a resilient platform to to base on not to say I don't have my downtimes and what have you um mm-hmm. I you know I had to I had to reassess when I suddenly got my wish granted my wish for years had been I just wish I had enough time 
to write. I just, but I was a single mom with four boys and no family around, and it was not possible. It was just physically not. I absolutely take my hats off to hat off to anyone who's out there, out there who's a parent, um, even if you're co-parenting uh, or you know joint parenting with it with some two adults in the house. But when there's kids around, it's it's wow, and and you're still writing and, and putting work out. I absolutely take my hat off. <laughs> and so for years that had been my excuse of. Um, uh, you know, oh, it's hard, it's too hard, it goes in the too hard basket, I haven't got enough time, energy, all the rest of it. And um, then my boys um, left home for uh, to, to go and try and live with their dad, and um, they suddenly left me as an empty nester. And then I had more time than I knew what to do with myself. And it took me a little while to um, figure out that this was my opportunity. This was it, you know. This I this you know I actually had a conversation with my brother, and I said, for years I have literally wished for more time, <laughs> and I've now been granted that time, and. Um, I actually don't know what to do with it. So it just took a it took a a, a little bit of reflection to um, adjust to my new lifestyle of being a, being an empty nester, to then uh, refocus that sort of sadness and suddenness of how how quickly it had all happened um, into into my writing. Has it influenced the tone of my book? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Uh, on full reflection and full reading later on, um, I might see it. Other people might not spot it. I, I, I actually can't personally say that that my mood has reflected my writing. But um, uh, for me, as I say, it was it was the actually then making use of my change of circumstances to um, put that put my energy into 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 my writing, which I had wanted to do my whole life pretty much. And so um, I turned what was a very difficult situation for me into a blessing and um, and off I went and wrote four books in a series. Oh. EJ, you have anything to add? Um, I think, I think that, that everyone writes from different places. There's a certain element to a lot of the way that different authors in history treat their writing. I think that a lot of writers tend to be more upfront, particularly these days with the acceptance of mental health when they're depressed and they Mm -hmm. have anxiety or other mental health issues. I don't think that every writer needs to have those things to be a good writer. It's not like you have to be filled with your own personal angst and whatever else. What I think it is though, is a certain honesty in regards to the fact that a lot of writers, can get very depressed and discouraged mm-hmm. uh, by their writing and sit there and say it sucks and I'm a terrible writer and all those sorts of th- and I'll never be published and all those sorts of things and they let their own demons mm. gang up on them and that varies between all different kind of writers we and I think we can all sit here and say yes I have had a moment where I believed without without doubt my writing sucked yes yeah. you know we, we all have those moments <laughs> yeah. you know what they're wrong it's not like it's a single piece and that's all you can possibly do. And I wrote about this on a, on a blog with uh, GB writes with others. And I think it's really important for a lot of writers, particularly given the self-publishing industry and how saturated it is, but also how competitive the traditional published um aspects are I mean one of the most common things that you hear is the doors to big five are shut. 
And the only way to get in them is to get an agent who's already published with them. And to get one of those agents is nigh on impossible, which is what has led to the development of all these much smaller um Presses who are affiliates to those bigger ones and post smaller stuff and take advantage of the self-publishing wave that has been hitting the writing community for the last 10 years. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, it's really important to know that uh, whatever you are doing, you need to be happy with where you're at right now. Because if you if you think about all the things that you don't have And that goes for life too. You're not going to suddenly become the next JK Rowling. The idea that you can do that these days is is ridiculous. The fact that she was able to do what she did is incredible. Uh, But I do not think we will ever see her type again. And I think that's because the industry has changed so much. Uh, But I also think it's because um, there are so many really good authors. There are so many really good writers. And you can like more than one author. Harry Potter was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. And that you will ever see. If you go back through history, there has never been anything like it. And I think that um, writers need to be aware that what you really need to be content with is writing here and now. And so that's why uh, I post the things that I post. And I'm I'm always uh, posting, and I try to do it every second day, something positive. And I've normally gathered that tweet from a negative emotion. So I've sat there and thought something bad about my writing or who I am or those things. And I try to make, like, I have this inner voice that sort of, you know, says to you, you know, really, really, is that what you're going to say to yourself today? That is crap. Don't treat yourself like that. You would not treat another author like that, would you? No. Mm-hmm. So don't treat yourself like that. And so I try to make sure that I'm putting that on my feed because so many authors feel like that. And you're not alone in those thoughts. And, uh, you know, yes, there's an element of uh, positive writers and whatnot, but there's, you may as well, you don't just have a really positive author and a really, really depressed author because that is not the right way to assess the mental health of the writing community. You have a great scale. You have people who are terrified uh, to tweet, which is, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that this is Emma, but that that in itself is a form of anxiety. Like oh, that, that being, yes. getting, anx- getting anxious about tweeting and you shouldn't, it's a tweet. You can delete it if, it, if you don't <laughs> like it. But I remember feeling like that when I first started tweeting and some of the, uh, yeah. my early tweets, I'd look back and cringe but I don't delete them because you know you you it's it's devaluing the message that I was uh, trying to send I remember trying to tweet something quite positive about about uh liking your work and so many people just misconstrued it and I left it there because it was a good lesson and so the next time that I tried to tweet something positive I had that that learning experience but more importantly um I believe in the positive things that I'm saying to writers who need to hear that message at that moment. And those are the kind of tweeters that I like to follow because often, you know, and I've said this before, it's a very lonely journey and we're all experiencing this particular path to our, our writing lives differently. And we need to, we need to make sure that we're supporting one another because we're all going through, uh, if not the same, then very, very similar ups and downs in our writing journey. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I've I've already had like a few tweets where I'm like, you know what, maybe you should just be a little <laughs> bit more positive. <laughs> so I've already started correcting that because I can get very down on myself. There was a period where I think I was like 14 and I tried to write a book again. And I'm I was a plotter. I had very strict plots and I would plot for days. And then I would try to write and I would just be like, just- you know what? 
this sucks and I would stop. So I think at some point I was like, oh, you're just a bad writer. And I stopped writing for a long time. And it wasn't until like I got, you know, deeper into the Internet where I was like, okay, I guess the first draft isn't supposed to be Harry Potter already. You need to chill out for a bit. So that's the only way I ended up um, writing again. And I'll still get I'll very often get depressed about the writing process and whatnot. But, yeah, it's 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 a journey. And I'm glad that we're all on it together and that we have positive people like you guys in the community to rely on, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's about uh, all the different yeah, stages of our writing journey and that it can feel like it's uh, it's very, very hard to be positive about your own writing. And it's why I, I will often offer beta reading randomly mm. so that I've got the opportunity to sort of say to, uh, to different authors, and, and it's why I beta read the way that I do, is that I say, yes, you need to improve X, Y, Z. By the same token, I say, oh, I love what you've done with this character reaction or that's a really interesting perspective or whatever it happens to be. And I like to do that because we all, we, we've all got really, really great ideas. We're all uh, really, really great writers. What we're lacking is uh, development and critique mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> empowerment, which makes you confident and it makes you a better writer. Right, right. Speaking about critique, we have you have you've mentioned beta readers. Um, how do beta readers and other professional editors? How do they help benefit? Oh, I couldn't have got where I've got to without my beta readers. They, um, I started out obviously with a group of friends. It was terror again. Um, You'll be picking up a theme here. I was absolutely terrified <laughs> to let someone else read my work. Um, you know, all those self-doubts creep in and, and what have you. Um, I uh, took and just bit the bullet. I just took the plunge and went, would you guys be interested? I felt comfortable enough, safe enough, loved enough by this core group of friends to say, you know, okay, I'm going to tell you a little secret because I told no one that I was writing. But, you know, hey, I've written a book. And everyone was like, what? And I said, well, you know, will, you, will you have a have a look at it? Um, and the overwhelming response that I got from the first um, round of reading was exactly what EJ said. It, it just lifted me up onto a different level of confidence going, oh, maybe I can do this. this yeah. You know, this is really interesting. Um, they... Um, uh, were very, very cool because because they were a close group of friends. I hold like a book club uh, to get the feedback. I don't get it on electronic or over the phone or anything. I feed everyone. I get Thai takeaway. I bring loads <laughs> of bottles of wine, light the candles, the nice scented candles, and off we go. And this book club, all about my book, which is like I'm in heaven. They're in heaven. They get fed and free wine and <laughs> chat about books. And um, the dynamic of it works really well. Um, I could not, could, and, and, but in saying that, they they were very cautious and tentative in the beginning, you know, trying to be quite careful and diplomatic until, you know, I started asking sort of more punchier questions, uh, more direct questions that, that demanded sort of that critique and feedback and, and, and constructive criticism. And when they realised that I wasn't going to collapse in a heap and cry and that I was actually getting... <laughs> 
so excited um, about their suggestions and ideas and what worked and what didn't work and um, having such a diversity of a big group of, of you know, six or seven people um, meant conversation could flow of um, uh, more in-depth analysis and discussions about one particular thing. It wasn't just one person's point of view and piece of feedback. So I can't... Uh, I just, I can't even, my girls know that they are my absolute godsend. They are my little angels in the in the wings and they're all getting signed copies when it gets published. Um, but in saying that, they um, are just normal readers, all of them. They all have their own careers um, and none of them are in the professional publishing industry. So they could offer me that valuable feedback as a reader, but I wanted to take the next step and actually dip my toe in the professional market and see how the, what the viability of my of my book and uh, was or is and and what my uh, the viability of my series is so i actually invested in a professional manuscript assessment through a small publishing house here in brisbane who also offers editorial services and i um oh i best investment ever to get that assessment done um, because, again, not only was there the critique and suggestions, super helpful stuff that, that you know, um, needed tweaking, needed reworking, but the praise for the stuff that I had got right was, again, took me to that next, next level up of confidence going, wow, now this is a professional who sees you know, hundreds of books, she puts them out and publishes them, you know, for other authors, all the rest of it. So she knows her stuff. She's been doing this long enough. She's worked at one of the big publishing houses. She's now got her own small business. Uh, so she's seen it all. She's seen the gamut of all, all writing. And uh, she's telling me that it's, it's good. It's great. You know, she, she, she loved it. So it was like, wow. Okay. Yep. Um, best thing I could have um, done for myself. And the, look, I think EJ touched on it before. People do courses, people do writing courses, people go to writing retreats. There's all sorts of different ways to learn your craft. For me personally, I'm a tactile, tangible sort of person. So direct critique on my actual real-life living story is gold for me to be learning my process, learning my craft, learning what I'm doing right, learning what I'm doing wrong, learning how to fix it as I go along. Um and then, you know, I've only had that done for book one of four of my books, but I can take what I've learned from that critique in book one and flow it through the others in my revisions and my rewrites and what have you. Um, so, I, and I know not everyone is in a fortunate enough position to be able to pay for professional help. I, I fully, fully appreciate and understand that. And that's mm -hmm. where your beta readers are gold, especially if you can find ones that know your genre and that you have a personal connection with and who um, offer the type of constructive criticism that you are after. Um, I, uh, I've helped a couple of people in the community who've contacted me, you know, privately about how to um, get the best out of their beta readers, but also how to gently let people down if there's, you know, they say that there's a, a fair amount of rework to be done and what have you. How do you tell someone that? Because 
you don't, you know, for, for this particular gentleman, he really didn't want to destroy the other guy's um, mojo when it came to writing. But he said, uh, you know, he's obviously a first-time writer and this is the first time he's, he's thrown it out there for someone to read. So we had a, a bit of a chat about it and, um, um, you know, picked three, you know, major... I just said, instead of tearing the whole thing down, just pick three major points that can... Uh, that can help the person revise and rewrite some of the major plot or character issues and then throw the suggestion out there and then send it to more beta readers and then gave a whole list of um, resources of where someone can find more beta readers. Um, and, um, yeah, it's... Um, it, it's a, it's, it's again, beta reading is just as subjective as being... Um, uh, an agent as being a, a, a publisher. Everyone's got their little niches of what they read, prefer to read, like to read. Um, so it's, uh, you know, really important, which is why I created the blog that I did about beta readers, where to find them, um, how to use them to the best of your ability. There's a brilliant um, printable uh, beta reading questionnaire from Jamie Gold uh, that's attached to my blog that gives you a million different questions you could ask your beta readers to think about and answer to give you feedback. Because some people um, can read your book, but then uh, without a, a direct questionnaire, the feedback can be sort of too vague to do anything. Oh, yeah, that was good. Or, you know, oh, there was just something about it that mm, I'm not quite sure about that character. And then you go, okay, but, but what? Like, what was it? What didn't you like? Didn't you like that her hair was brown? Or is she fundamentally flawed? What do, you, what do you mean you didn't like it? Um, and then as for, um, as for adopting the feedback, I've got a pool of about 10 people now. And if only one person out of all 10 of those people comes up with a, I didn't like this, or I think that should, you know, be like that. I take that as an opinion, that, that that's their opinion. And of course, everyone's always going to put their opinions into beta reading. Mm -hmm. But if two or more people say the same thing, have the same issue, bring up the same question, mm -hmm. then that's, that, then that's for me to deal with. That's not, not just an opinion. That's then something that's obviously reoccurring. And um, my, my theory is I take my little demographic of 10 beta readers and, you know, build it into the, the worldwide population that's actually going to hopefully potentially cross fingers read my book. And if two people out of a group of 10 are picking that up, then there's going to be quite a huge percentage of people out there in the world that are going to pick it up. So it then potentially does become an issue that needs to be sorted out. So, um, um, that, that's the theory I'm working on, but obviously, um, I am also acutely aware, having been involved in the writing community now, because I'm not at the review stage of online reviews like, like EJ is, but that reviews can also, um, you know, go pear-shaped. And it's all subjective. Again, for just like with your beta readers, with your agents, with your publishers, your readers on the end, it's all subjective as well. So uh, I think we, we writers need a very, very thick skin, which yes. is why I try to... Um, to be the positive light in the writing community because for anyone who's had that rejection or or a, a tough day or, or you know something's just not working um 
hopefully the writing community is a place that people can come to um, if they've uh, got their followers whittled down to the type of people that they want to see on their feed and in the, in the content that they want to see. That you know that that one voice of positivity might just be what that person needs that day to to lift them up. Uh, yeah, your positivity is rubbing off on me. Like, I didn't think I would want a beta reader, but now I want one. I want somebody to read my stuff. <laughs> judge me. <laughs> Oksa, have you... Judge me. Judge me. Yes. <laughs> Oksa, have you had a beta reader yet? Have you done any professional editing yet? I haven't done any professional, but I kind of did the same thing where mm -hmm. I just wanted like my friends to read it. And I'm just like, guys, you, can, you know, I can take the criticism. Just please critique me. But I didn't really tell them what it was for. Mm -hmm. I just said, here's a chapter, read it. So they didn't know I was kind of serious about it. Right. So they sent me back just like, oh, I love it. I love it so much. I'm like, but what do you love? Right. So yeah. it was just like, I think they just love me. I don't know how they actually <laughs> felt about the chapter. Um, so I got like, obviously, a few, I think I got a little bit trigger happy with getting like beta readers because I, I got like a few people to read it and then they gave me like some very good critique which I will use later on in my chapters so that's been good but I'm trying not to get anyone in before I have a lot more to read because anything's willing to change right now mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm in the same boat uh, <laughs> EJ have you had anybody do professional editing or some beta readers for you so I think Emma's covered pretty much everything that I'd say about <laughs> beta reading but there is a couple of things that I, I do think need to be addressed. And one of those things is that um, and I, I'm going to be – I'm going to be the nasty aunt. So I like to think that Emma might be the writing community mum <laughs> and I'm the, I'm the aunt who cusses at everyone and, and occasionally slips them a 50. Um, <laughs> and, but I'm also going to be the unpleasant one because I'm going to talk about something that I, that I do and I review books. I review indie books on my website and I spend a lot of time and effort doing that. And uh, I often find that um, – there are people that I know within the writing community whose names you will probably recognize and they offer services to other writers. And I think it's really important to distinguish something uh, about the writing community as it is right now. There are people in it to make money and some of them are your friends and it's an ugly, ugly thing to say, but I have seen it happen and I I will go into it, uh, but I won't mention names. I uh, was asked to review a book, and I did, and I felt that it had it had who, whoever had written it had written a very good story. What they sincerely lacked was a developmental editor. They'd had a copy editor, but the developmental editor had let them down. Mm -hmm. And I found out that the person that I was has I, I went back to this person. I said, "Look, I'm really, really sorry, but I can't give this more than three stars because of, of these issues." And I was very clear about them. And they were very, very serious issues. Uh, the, she had such an engaging starting chapter but the following chapters just waffled on about things that weren't integral to the plot and it took too long to get going. Now, I have this habit. When I pick my indie books to read, I will read the sample on 
um, Amazon. And if I'm still reading by the end of the sample, I buy the book. It's that simple. I don't care about the blurb. I don't care about the cover. I don't care about editing. Even if it's got editing mistakes, what I care about is an engaging story. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who don't have, they can't afford professional services. So they buy subpar ones. And this is where it really needs to be extended out in regards to beta reading and editing and what the differences is, but also what those things are supposed to cover. So a beta reader is there as a reader. And if you are not engaging, you know, and they, they will, if they will read it beginning to end as they should, and I'll get onto my own experiences with beta readers in a second, but an editor should be covering a few different things. And if they don't cover all these things, then you need to potentially look at getting another editor. So you have several different types of editors. One's the first one and the most important one. And more importantly, the one that is overlooked the most for beta reading, which is wrong, is a developmental editor. So your developmental editor is going to come along and they're going to look at plot arc they're going to look at character development they're going to look at all of those things and help you work out where you can improve or tweak those or get more natural reactions uh through from characters throughout the script and turn it into a solid story which can then look at the actual construct of the story which is your grammar and your copy editing and your adverbs and nouns and just getting all of that stuff sorted so that that all then makes sense so you've got all these different stages and it's after those stages you should actually give the book to a beta reader so that they can read it and and enjoy it and then maybe say well your copy editor has missed out on your speech tags or has let you use too many adverbs or the plot um i was confused or angry and drive that emotional feeling about the story um and i think that those differences are incredibly overlooked because what a beta reader is there to do is is emma is absolutely right they're there to help you know, build your confidence and whatnot. Um, but you can't do that without a really, really good editor. And it's why I always yeah. advise people on Twitter. And I, I haven't uh, said this lately, but I will be saying it again is you need to be very careful about who you're picking on Twitter. There are a lot of people who are quite friendly and who are very likable and they're offering services that aren't as professional at a lower rate because they're using programs like Grammarly and pro writing aid to offer editing services that not have actually been trained for. And I think it's really important to make sure that you can distinguish those things. More importantly, I have had a editor um, come back and do a sample of my work and they were professional. They had a university degree. They showed it to me when they were, um, when I was looking at getting them to edit my script. Um, but when I gave them the sample chapter to edit, I just didn't have that rapport with her or what she was saying about my work. And I just felt that it needed, I just felt she was the wrong person. Whereas, uh, Scott, who's my editor for the last prophecy series, has been fundamental into making this series a really great series. I would not have been able to do this without him. And I think it's very important that particularly in the self-publishing industry, you establish what that difference is. And there are ways to go about affording a good editor and bringing out a good story without having to pay huge amounts of money. Because at the end of the day, a really good editor is going to be spending almost as much, if not more time than you, um, even though you wrote the story. And it's important to remember that that's what they're there to do is to make it a much, much better story. Whereas beta readers are just tend to be people, you know, who don't give honest opinions. 
Um, and I've actually had that happen to, to me. I had a friend read the book and she's went, Oh yeah, no, that's really great. It's great. And she didn't actually offer anything uh, back to me, um, which I was kind of really, um, I was really sad about. It was a very unsatisfactory sort of response because she'd been quite keen to read it. Uh, I had, um, and I absolutely love my sister, but she read my book and um, she offered a lot of really great uh, emotional reaction to the content, uh, which was great because she was incited to actually hate this one character she ended up loving and was quite mad at when he nearly died. Um, but I think that, and I think as a beta reader myself, what you really need to be getting out of beta readers is, is, is catching any mistakes that the editor has left behind, but more importantly, ensuring that your story has one fundamental aspect and that is it's readability. Is it a good read? And it doesn't have to be a great read. It doesn't have to be the next um, Harry Potter, but it's got to hold the author's attention completely from beginning to end. And I think your beta reader should be telling you whether or not your story does that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, real quick, I just want to go back to the people offering editing services through Grammarly. Like they're just using Grammarly to edit people's books. So what ends up happening and people think that they can go through and read a story and edit it without actually having the relevant experience. And one of the interesting things that I found out about this, um, one of the things that I, uh, found out about, uh, this, uh, person was that I had read something else and I real I went back and found it and realized it had been the same editor and it was a really good story. It was a much better story, but I found the exact same problems. Um, and it was clear at that point in time that it was the, the editor and they're, they're advertising themselves as a professional editor. And I think that what, you really need to, to do is to have a look at not just getting potentially an, an editor, an editor, but where that their so-called experience is coming from. And it's the equivalent. And I think for a lot of these people, you don't realize they're not just offering their services on Twitter. They're offering their services on Fiverr. And what they're offering is a cheap service, which means it's, it's, it's rushed. Mm-hmm. They're not dedicating the time into doing it because what they want is to get paid. And we're all trying to do this ourselves in our own ways. And money, unfortunately, is a really big issue for a lot of us because most of us work full time. We don't have the luxury of being able to sit and, and write um, all day. Um, and if we're not working full time, we're like Emma, we're full time mums. That is a full time job. It's more than a full time job because you can leave your work at work. Um, these people are doing editing in their spare time to make money. And it's important to know that um, if you get negative feedback based on editing and not story, then you need to consider whether or not your editor is the right person. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Um, okay. Now, it's what, – what do you call yourself? Mean auntie? It, mean auntie? It, yes. <laughs> it's, it's mean auntie time. No. <laughs> You're the auntie that takes the kids out pub crawling when mum's going, no, you're not going to Yeah, but I'm also the auntie who's going to turn around and tell people to, you know, shut up or whatever it is if they get yeah. irritated. Like, I'm hey, sorry, but I am going to be that, that person. It's going to be like, shh, don't tell your mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. Well, it's time for you to tell us. You got to it's it, it's time to burst our bubble. You told us earlier that they're like there are people in the writing community that have more nefarious goals. And 
I read your article, The Dark Side of Self-Publishing, and it just opened my eyes so much. Could you let us know what it was about? So the dark side of self-publishing came about because I witnessed, and it's actually not in relation to this editor, so I just want to go back and stipulate that this this person is a good editor. They're not a good developmental editor. They're a great copy editor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to establish that that while people have their fallings, you know, I'm not a perfect author. Um, you go back and look at some of my earlier work. Um, there is a host of mistakes and whatnot. There's even stuff that my editor has missed. But it needs to be established, and this is why I'm saying this very early on, is that there is a group of people out there who are trying to help, okay, regardless of what that person is trying to do, if they're trying to make money, there are others out there who are actually trying to help uh, get their story, like, somewhat edited so they can self-publish it and get it out there and if it's a good enough story then that's fine but there is a whole other group of people out there who are trying to rot the system and i'm using rot instead of another word because they are nasty Mm -hmm. they are doing things that are ruining it for the rest of us but more importantly these people aren't ruining traditional publishing even if some of them are traditionally published they're ruining self-publishing and the way that they're doing it is that they're dragging it down for the rest of us so the article was not about self-publishing scams now if you want to know about self-publishing scams just google it uh but more importantly check out um the uh ally which is the uh authors alliance um their membership i've been meaning to get for a while because they used to have a lot of free resources that they've now made for members only and it's absolutely worth it for self-published authors but also for authors uh mostly because they, they do review websites for advertising which all authors need and for editing and for a whole host of different services and what they do is they've identified which ones of which services are shady af <laughs> um mm. and there are a lot of them out there and so you can Google these these services and find out what they are. So the first one straight off the bat is paid reviews. You are not supposed to. And you can you can get services that – and I do another article on it with uh, Mrs. Y actually on Twitter on how to get reviews. Um, you can have services where you do pay them and they and they come back to you and they're, they're very uh, judgmental and they come back to you with an honest review. Mm-hmm. And you can put it on your website and you can put it on your Amazon profile, but they don't actually leave a review on Goodreads and Amazon because they're, that's a paid review. Uh Promotional packages confirming bestsellers. Um, so they turn around, and they say to you, "Yes, it's six thousand dollars, but you'll be a number one best-selling Amazon author." And I'll get into how much of a reward that is in a second. Uh, the third book, um, the, the third one, I've actually only come across recently, and it was what actually prompted me to write this blog post. Was that there's a group on Twitter who have been called out. What they do is they, and readers are talking about this, not writers, but I think it's worth engaging the reading community to understand what's going on. There is a group of romance writers out there who are legally copying each other's work and releasing under their name, and it's the exact same story. Wow. It is the exact same book and you think it's a different author and whatnot. And there are a couple of people and you go to the romance, you go to the romance genre on um, Amazon, Amazon and you look them up and there's one particular writer who's doing it prolifically and she has, and I counted them, 25 books in the top 50 books in romance. Mm-hmm. 
and it, that this is this is one of the the this is the reasons to traditionally publish but it's one of the reasons self-publishing gets quite a rap it's mm. because these things are going on and it can be really really discouraging and it, it shouldn't be but i'll continue on with the article the other way that uh, you can game the system is using ku uh red pages so that um if a book is read a lot on kindle unlimited it pushes uh the book up through the rankings so kindle unlimited um it's not it doesn't just affect and this is i'm not as familiar with the technology as i'd like to be but if you have a book that's being um purchased a lot on a free weekend uh, is being read a lot on ku uh it, it pushes it up through the rankings and makes you a number one bestseller on amazon except if you're using what's happening what was happening several years ago and still is in the philippines um there was a group of people who had mobile phones stacked against the walls and mm. all of them had a program that allowed them to skim over the pages and download books and whatnot en masse to put this book into its top seller listing, which then meant that other people looking in those categories would say, hey, that book's a number one book. I should get it because obviously other people are getting it and therefore it is good. And there's one other, this is where the real blog post comes in, but there's one other thing that people do in uh, that really bugged me in traditional publishing that I heard about. The New York Times bestseller list is based on how many books are bought uh, in across America from bookstores. And I heard a story and actually watched someone call up and buy hundreds of copies of their own books from bookstores across America to put them myself on the New York best-selling times list the week their book went out. <laughs> and it's, it, and this is where the article really comes in because this is awful. Mm. This is an mm. awful, awful thing that the, these people are doing because they're not just, they are absolutely ruining the self-publishing industry. They already have. It's too late for them not to have ruined it. They have ruined it, these, mm -hmm. these scams. But they're ruining the traditional publishing routes as well. And a lot of people aren't aware that they're ruining the traditional published routes. And there's been a lot of method. That's why um, – it's actually why the New York Times no longer takes into consideration ebooks. Um, is because of scammers oh. and the way that they've ruined the system. Well, that's my belief in any case. Yeah. But um, uh, the thing about this article was it's not about the way that these scams are working. There are heaps of articles by much better informed people than me. My mm. article was about that I watched this happen in a Facebook group with a fellow who has an anonymous name of John. And John did this. John bought reviews. John got packages confirming Amazon Beck sellers. He used these scammers to download lots of his books so he could call himself number one. He was called out in a blog post and somebody in our Facebook group realized who it was and went back to the Facebook group and said, hey, are you doing this? And I believe he was. He denied the whole thing, but um, we looked at this blog post that was actually written by a very credible source, a source I had already known as being credible, uh, not one I just sort of found because the, this guy linked the article. Um, I knew them from other blog posts, and I read through this blog post about what John had done in order to game the system and game his number one status, and 
it it, it was too much. Like I watched his um, his uh, rise to being an Amazon bestseller through the Facebook group. It had nothing to do with Twitter. It had nothing to do with Amazon, and it had nothing to do with any other social media platform, it was through this Facebook group. And I'd watched him claim all these things. So I knew the pattern was already there. So when he was called out on it and we looked back at the events and how it had happened, I I could see that these the, the five-star reviews he received were from anonymous accounts that never left five-star, only left five-star reviews or, or didn't really review. Like they've been created to write a five-star review and then deleted. Uh, which is why Amazon now has its rules where you have to actually spend money before you can leave a review on a product. Mm. Um, and people are now gaming that system too. Um, and you could see it. And I said to him, you know, he worked hard. I worked hard. I watch him succeed at the same time I was releasing the start of my fantasy series. And it was so disappointing to see that he, you know, he had been a relatively nice person and I'd been genuinely happy for him. Like you can get envious of people's accomplishments, particularly when you starting out and I'd been envious and I hadn't suddenly decided that he was a bad guy because I'd been jealous. I decided that he was a bad guy because this article clearly proved that he'd been using these systems. Um, and, and when you delve down into it, it was really quite sad because, and he ended up leaving the group before, um, you know, um, anybody the America could come online because the Americans then promptly and I sorry Americans and I say this because <laughs> what happened was it was posted at about Australian morning or, or lunchtime kind of thing and it had been missed by the American Facebook crowd um, but it meant that that me and a few other people in the Australasia um area had sort of seen it come up and then it moved across into Europe as Europe came online. And, uh, it was, um, just a couple of us. And I was actually one of the people saying, John, did, did you, did you do this? Is it true? And just all of a sudden this guy who'd been a literary perfectionist devolved down into garbled English is my second language. I don't really speak it well nonsense. And it suddenly that was really the trigger moment for me. The, the fact that somebody so, who was normally so incredibly eloquent and so, and spoke English so well could suddenly give these very garbled responses um, that weren't, that were clearly, and this is not to, to in, remotely insult non-English speaking people. Yeah. It's more a comment on the complete difference of personality. It was yeah. those responses that made me go, oh no, hang on a minute. This is somebody pretending to be somebody that they're not. Sidestepping everything. Goodness. Yep. And yeah. So, and, and this was the thing he, I actually, saw him and I was, you know, it was tempting to give up writing. I mean, I was just starting in self-publishing and I, I couldn't believe that he'd, he'd done this. I actually saw him on Twitter the, the other day and all the other signs were there that, and they were much more evident. And um, even though he's got a host of one-star reviews for a lot of his, uh, a lot of his work, um, there's all the paid reviews too that he's not getting caught out on. I'm sure he's being reported for it, but these people will continue to effectively tarnish self-publishing for the rest of us that mm. is crazy like that's the type of thing that will you know it'll just turn away people that want to self-publish just like you said that you almost stopped that that just makes me so upset that there are probably people who saw that and were like you know what I don't want to be involved with this this is gross and that sucks it really does because the self-publishing community is just like 
it's it's so open and inclusive and you can do whatever you want without having to have the traditional hangups on your back and that just that that's very upsetting do you it, have- look it is mm-hmm. it is very upsetting but before 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 you give up i, no, I no. Think, <laughs> this was why i think and, you know, and i don't think you do give up but okay. here was the thing people i watch people in the same group give up mm-hmm. and yeah. um that was that was really really sad um and, and i have written a different article about um and i think i've mentioned this before in the podcast uh for on gb rights with others about why people give up their writing journey i think the most important thing is that um you hold yourself accountable you have the integrity and you um you are aware that these things happen but there are a lot of really great self-publishing stories out there and i'll give you an example one of the best self-publishers of all of of this in the last 10 years he's sold thousands of copies he's book actually ended up in bookstores and became a New York Times bestseller and none of you have ever heard of him. Mm. And his name is Omar and he has, he's got nearly 5,000 reviews for his self-published book, uh, which is all at four and a half star or more. Um, what you meant to take away despite all of these really bad things is that if you have a good story and you get it properly edited and you get it properly reviewed and you have a marketing plan and you work hard at it, your story will speak for itself. Mm. Mm -hmm. Emma, do you have any thoughts on that, on her story? Uh, Well, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, like I'm still learning and and hearing stuff like that for the first time is like, what? (laughs) Um, I, um, that that's where my inexperience shines brightly when I hear stuff like this because I'm like I had no idea, um, <laughs> but now I do know. You know now I consider myself informed and 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 can and do some digger deeping and what have you dig, deeper digging. Um, but to be dead honest with you, it's 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 stories like that that absolutely terrify and turn me off the idea of self-publishing. It is my full intention to go down the traditional publishing route purely because, like as usual, I'm absolutely terrified that I um, am going to do it all wrong and it's not going to work. I'm not going to understand all the legalities and, you know, um, the tax implications of selling stuff overseas, of being in another country and and publishing rules and laws and and having to be technology savvy enough to get Kindle Unlimited up going and, and post your book on Amazon. I have, haven't got the foggiest how to even, you know, begin something like that. Obviously, it takes research. You've got to find out how to do it and what have you. But the prospect of that for me is so totally overwhelmingly intimidating that my first stab at this is, you know, is going to be what I feel personally is a safer route with going traditional because then I will have someone who's got my back, someone who knows um, contracts, someone who knows, you know, film rights, uh, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yes, I know there's pitfalls in the traditional industry, but because I'm um, considering going down the traditional industry, I'm, I'm, you know, I try to do as much research and um, reading into that. And as EJ said, there was a was it Alliance of Allies, the, the website for self-publishers with the warnings 
Um, oh, it's not for write- it's not for self-publishers. It's for any authors. Uh, oh, okay. Because there's also uh, Right to Beware is another one to catch out dodgy people in the industry, Do- uh, dodgy publishing houses. The um, what are they called? The vanity presses, all that sort of stuff. So it's it's a matter of do your research. No matter which avenue you're going to go down, do your research listen to these anecdotal stories like um ej has explained today uh, to hear how people have had these things happen to them um to be armed and informed to you know try to sidestep them avoid them or be aware of them at least um if they if they do crop up for you um uh, yeah, as I say, that's not to say that traditional route is is all plain sailing either. But for me personally, being a rookie, uh, you know, that that's where I feel the most comfortable and the safest to at least try and start. Um, get, so hats off to to self publishers because again, that's a big scary world that uh, that I, I'm I'm not quite ready to put my toe into yet. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Understandable, understandable. Oxa, do you have any thoughts on her story? Well, first of all, that was just absolutely insane. But mm. it's true, like, you just have to be careful who you're speaking to in general. Like, mm. you, don't, you don't know. But um, just in terms of, like, self-publishing versus um, the traditional route, like, obviously I haven't thought about it too much. Ideally, just for, like, I don't want to even say ease, but just, like, from fear of self-publishing, everyone kind of wants to go down the traditional route. But um, Jenna Morici on oh, her YouTube channel, I'm her. sorry if I butchered her last name, she did, like, a really good video about it where she compared the two. And, yeah, that was just a very good video if anyone wants to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want yeah, to yeah. – do, do you mind popping that on your Twitter um, feed the yeah, video, that's fine. video and then tagging us all in it so we can spread the word on Twitter? Yeah, I'll put that up. Sweet. I love her. She's the best. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like genuinely, like she does like top ten like tropes, like best and worst tropes as well. And I just watch it and I'm just like taking notes. I'm, like that's such like a good thing that you don't even think about. Yes. But yeah, yes. she does very very good like YouTube videos. Mhm. Mhm. But yeah, I'll definitely post that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, okay. Now that we have established that scamming is not the way to promote your book, what is the appropriate <laughs> way to to promote your book? Um. So I think Emma's absolutely right when she says that there's a lot of advantages that help protect you when you go traditionally published. And uh, one of the things I'd say is if you are looking at traditionally published, I think what you need to do first and foremost is to find an agent or editor. Now there's something that I've been noticing on the Twitter community, especially is that quite often these are a dual uh, role. These are people who look at the amount of work needed to be done on a script as an editor and will, you know, take the book, potentially to their to their publisher um uh because they can see the you know redeeming features or whatever else is about it and um i think having an agent for any writer is incredibly important because uh emma's absolutely right you need someone to understand the contracts the rate of payment advances movie rights all that sort of stuff but by the same token, a lot of publishers uh, will still take advantage of a writer's uh, naivety if you don't have an agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's why you are better off actually pitching directly to agents rather than some of these vanity presses, particularly if you don't know mm-hmm. them or their 
um, or who they are. And Twitter isn't the whole world. Like I said before, you've got this self-published author who's absolutely huge and um, he's got less than 200 followers on Twitter. Oh, wow. He has a non-existent Twitter profile. And he's probably one of the most successful self-published authors I've ever heard about. But in regards to self-promotion, and you can find it if you search my blog post under marketing, uh, but I actually wrote an article about this and about how you can how you can uh, have a marketing plan because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a traditionally published author or a self-published author. A lot of the marketing ta- uh, tactics that you use for uh, for promoting your book revolve around a couple of different things. The first is is the book ready. So it doesn't matter if you're traditional self-published. Is the book ready? Is it really ready? And one of the reasons that the self-publishing community really falls down is because it is not ready. They get ahead of themselves. They're so proud of what they've done, and they should be, but they jump the gun. And they go ahead and they they self-publish it and it's got all these problems. And then, of course, that then degrades the quality of the entire self-publishing industry, which makes everyone treat it like trash and so on and so forth. One of the best books I've written recently is actually by uh, a woman called Emma Miles uh, called The Raven Tower. And I don't I, – I like reading some fantasy. I don't read what she normally writes and I love this book. I thought it was great. But for me, she works very hard at making sure she's got a very polished script. Uh, and I think that's important that you, you have a very important uh, polished script. Book covers, people do them with their own artwork or in Canva or uh, whatnot because if you go to people offering book covers, and this actually happened to me, uh, they turn around and say, yeah, no, that's fine. That's $300 US. Now, when you're doing this as uh, effectively a hobby, even if it's a professional hobby, that's a lot of money for a, a, an image. And a lot of people go, well, I can do something just as good. And that is possibly one of the worst mistakes I've ever seen. I don't judge uh, books on co- indie books on covers very much, uh, but it is a very determining factor as to whether or not I will pick up, um, whether I'll take a, a, an indie book seriously mm-hmm. if I can't see that they've actually got a semi-professional cover. The amount of people who've just got an image and they've used PowerPoint to put text across the image. And it, I'm sorry, but that's like, it's imagine your book on Amazon is a dating profile. If you've got a really terrible self- selfie no one's gonna look all right there's no other way of saying it okay so it's important to have a really good cover and it can be done yourself so one of the things I list on my my book marketing website is that I actually have um the three professional that I paid $300 US each covers. And then I have the one that I did myself beside it and it uses the same themes. And yes, it is a photograph and yes, it is a little different, uh, but it, you can see that it actually fits well with the others. And I think with enough experience and yes, you, you, and there is software to do it and there are lots of different ways you can make really, really good standout covers. Um, but a lot of the times you're better off engaging other people to help you with those covers. So I use a, a lady called Violetta who is absolutely lovely and she's actually done my cover for Behind the Veil. Uh, so you can find that uh, as my pinned tweet. Uh, and she's actually offers pre-made covers extraordinarily cheaply uh, and uh, she's she does custom covers um, for you. So, And I think it's good to have a cover when you're trying to promote your book, even if you are – 
uh, traditionally querying because it helps say this is kind of what I'm, I'm going for, but it also shows an element of seriousness towards what you think of your novel. Oh, yeah, I'm writing a novel. It doesn't say a lot to people, whereas once again, that cover can end up looking like your profile picture on a dating website. Yeah. Um, oh. Your blurb is incredibly important, uh, as is picking the right price and getting your social media platforms in order. After that, a critical part of this is getting reviews. Uh, and it's important to get honest reviews that don't just say, wow, this is the best thing ever from your sister who's just trying to help you out because, you know, nobody else has actually read your book or wants to because nobody knows who you are. It's important to come to people like Mrs. Y or myself or other reviewers online and um, look at the opportunities you have to get your book properly reviewed with an honest review that will help your story. Um, and one of the harsh things about that is that um, I don't leave two and one star reviews. So if you ask me to review your book and I say I will and I don't review it, there's a reason why. And I'm more than happy to devolve that. But I think it's an important part of the learning process for particularly self-published rather than traditionally published authors, though I will give one and two stars to traditionally published authors because if I give it a one or two star, I can't believe it was published. Um, <laughs> one of the things about promoting and marketing uh, is uh, advertising and having an advertising budget and getting your book into e-newsletters and whatnot. But what it is, is it, it's a juggling act between all of those things. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're traditional or self-published all of those uh, promotional marketing tactics is what you need to be engaging in and you need to be doing it all the time. It is a full-time job marketing a new release, newly released book and don't kid yourself otherwise. And it can be, there are ways to do it so that it doesn't drain your purse, but it does involve you spending, you know, a, some money in order to get that professional cover, to get that professional editing, to get, uh, to get uh, listed on e-newsletters, to get uh, sites like um, self-publishing review to do a review of your book um, or Kirkus reviews. I looked at somebody who got a beautiful review for a book I'm about to review and give five stars to. And it's uh, Percival Gint and the Conspiracy of Days. And that's a lovely little book, that one. Um, uh, by Drew Melbourne and um, really, really fun, engaging. He's the next Douglas Adams, I absolutely swear. Oh, wow. uh, but I, I, um, I'm really enjoying his book and I'll be giving it a five-star review. Uh, he actually got a Kirkus review and um, it was also very good because it's a very good story. Uh, but I went and looked on the Kirkus website. Now, the reviews that they give are incredibly prestigious, so if they liked it, they really, really liked it. But you got to have $500 to get a review from them. Oh, wow, wow. Oh. So... So this is in, it does, and even if you're traditionally published, you may have magazines or other places do that for you. But unless you're with a big five, you and normally big five authors are previously published authors with best books that hit the best sellers within within weeks of their release because they had uh, something unique about them. And I'll give you a really good example. Um, I think it's called The Hate You Give. Oh, yes. And, oh, yeah. Yep, yep. And that quite literally, once she got in with this brilliant I – haven't, I haven't read it yet. It is on my to-be-read list. But once she got that book in, it just opened so many doors for her because she had a, such a great and unique story that she didn't need to advertise. But the chances of actually getting that even through a traditional publisher are very, very few and far between. And it does take a lot of time and research to find out not just – 
how to promote your book, but where to promote your book. So the last thing you're going to want to be doing is going to a romance store. Hey, I've got a sci-fi with no romance on it and paying to be in their, in their monthly newsletter because that's a waste of time for you. You need to make sure that you're picking the right newsletters, the right web pages, the right places to promote your book because it's giving books to readers in those genres. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emma, do you have any tips on marketing? Yeah, even though I'm not actually at the marketing stage yeah. myself. Well, so, well, sort of I am in the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm growing my author platform and what have you. I'm doing my pre-marketing run at things. But um, one comment I'd like to just add is for those people who are published, as a, as a Twitter user and as a, as a reader of books, um, I have personally seen that anyone who goes uh, on their Twitter pro, uh, anyone who uses their Twitter profile to literally just spam and retweet book pro- their book promotion, I haven't seen one person yet buy one of those books. The worst. I, I have seen hundreds, well, yeah, by now I've been on, on Twitter months, I've seen hundreds of books bought by people who have a connection, mm-hmm. who have a personal online rapport with someone, you like that person, you've chatted with them, the book comes out, it's right up your alley, it's your genre, you love it. It's the, um, the personal engagement with the writing community mm-hmm. that is the successful step to, to actually selling a book. And I've actually seen it. I've seen books be bought. Yes. Um, which is wonderful. <laughs> it's so exciting. But the whole, you know, spam, 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 just it's, 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 it's a big turnoff for people. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that um, uh, I have seen a call for several times from readers on Twitter is imploring authors, if you've got a book out or you've got places where you are published, whether it's, uh, you know, um, on Wattpad or, or whatever is please put your links in your pinned tweets so we can find you mm-hmm. um, you know there are readers out there um, on, in the writing community who are in it for the reading and are desperately looking for for new authors to find and to read and so um, that that would be my little tip is is if you have your work published uh, you know either have it in your um, pro, uh, your bio profile um, with your website that's got all your work um, listed um, on your website, all your books, all your, all your um, writings, or um, have it as your pinned tweet um, uh, where, where people can find your work. So, yeah, that's marketing that works. And, and having it as a pinned tweet is not as um, spammy and in your face yeah. as, you know, re- yeah. ramming out your tweeting, but, but it's instantly visible. It's instantly there when people open up your profile. It is the first thing that they see about you. And it's just racking up likes for however long you have it up there. <laughs> I have the tweet about the podcast up there, and I'm like, look, people still like the idea. Yeah. I'll look yeah. at yeah. people who have followed me, and I'll go to their page, and I'll just see the spam about their book and I'm like okay I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and I'll go to their Twitter the replies and I'm like have you been engaging with anyone no they have not so that is where I'm like pass (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. you have anything to add (laughs) in terms of marketing I have to leave up to these two ladies so (laughs) (laughs) you did just you did just say your blog you gotta start marketing that I'm gonna I'm gonna help my game so hard Uh, okay, so I wanted to get into a little bit of community news. And 
uh, Jess Lauren is a writer in the writing community, and she's pretty awesome. And she put up a video of her being on the news, and it was about her and her efforts in mentoring young people of color, story, uh, new storytellers, the new generation. And I thought it was awesome. And I think that I just want to know what was your your opinion on the new generation of storytellers and what do you think they're going to bring to the table? I personally think that, you know, they're they are going to be the ones who are have been mass connected like for their entire lives. So they know like the human condition and the human emotions and whatnot because they they've been bombarded with it from like everywhere people that they never would have been able to meet without like twitter and instagram and whatnot so i think it's going to be awesome and i think we're going to get some pretty awesome stories what do you think emma well i i've never normally been into you know sci-fi futuristic that sort of stuff um um, and, and I know this isn't reading it, but I, you know, have tripped across the likes of Black Mirror on mm-hmm. Netflix, which is <laughs> all that um, predictive futuristic stuff. It blows my mind that people can even think that stuff up because mm-hmm. it is so far, far removed from um, what even floats through my brain when I'm daydreaming yes. um, and, and obviously as, a, as an author um, my passion is history I'm looking behind I'm not, look, not looking ahead mm-hmm. uh, and as far as where, where I stand now in the present um, you know I, I am of an age where I am the mother to that generation right. that you're talking about and oh. uh, so I am a, a little bit um, of a technology dinosaur when it comes to some aspects of things and I know I don't have a full handle or full understanding on how this you know these young kids these days um, <laughs> have, um you know and, and all the well I, I do try to be a bit more mindful because obviously it's, it's my children's generation and um um I, I try to understand the difficulties that they faced that didn't even exist as pipe dreams when I was their age. You right. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as the, the future storytellers are concerned, I think, yes, they are going to have a perspective on life that, uh, you know, we older generations just have no clue about. They, 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 um, they have had such a different worldview than we were all brought up as our parents had a different worldview as well Mm -hmm. um and so yes uh, as I say from from a black mirror point of view for people writing those sort of futuristic um uh, tech very tech heavy um how technology is you know big brother is watching type stuff it, it's terrifying and I, I in some ways <laughs> I try to put my fingers in my ears and put my blinkers on and go la 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 I don't want to know that that um Facebook is listening to me and how on earth did that um advert come up when only two hours ago I was talking to my friend about that <laughs> topic you know, I, I don't, I, I don't want to think too deeply about that. Uh, at the same time, I don't want to be too ignorant about it. I know it happens and exists, but um, um, so yes, there's a, there's a, a whole scope for for new authors with um, young authors, should I say, with with different life experiences that will obviously produce a whole different 
realm and feel of work than, say, authors from 100 years ago. Um, but in saying that, I think EJ nailed it. No matter what you do, no matter your age, uh, when you're trying to launch into to being a writer and being an author, um, if, if English isn't your strongest, if it's not your first language, or um, if you didn't do so great in English in high school, but your passion is there and you're a fabulous storyteller, use the professionals to help you get it polished. Um, don't, um, don't just assume that, um, um, uh, you know, it's, it's okay to go ahead. And, and I think that is just the mentality of, you know, of young people who are like, I, you know, I, I know I'm living with four of them. But, um, <laughs> I, I know everything. What would you know? You're, you know, I think it's, it's important for them to also take heed of the advice that comes from those who have gone before them about what what actually does work because there will still be elements of what worked for us old dinosaurs the, that um that 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 need to be addressed for for the newer younger generations of writers coming through you know yeah yeah i appreciate that you're not like those darn millennials <laughs> and young people no. <laughs> I oh, hate no. it when people are like, oh, millennials suck. And I'm like, you know, millennials are actually pretty old right now. Like, not old, but they're <laughs> they're adults. You're making You're fun of anymore, actual yes. people. Yes. <laughs> Oxa, do you have anything to add? Like, um, I'm a 90s baby, and I feel like yes. the way that like, I grew up, yeah, it was so different to how, like, how these kids are growing up. Like, it's like it's not even like a generational thing. Like, the people in the 80s live differently. It's like, the way we live has actually been different, like even with technology and like how we interact with people. So I genuinely like to see how like, like writing kind of changes in that time. Like we've seen like tonal shifts in terms of like the Gothic era and everything, but mm -hmm. I feel like the future will have like these like massive things that we're like, I probably can't relate to it, but it's kind of interesting to read about. Mm -hmm. Even, I don't know if anyone has seen Enemy of State, but like it's a 90s movie with Will Smith and it's like the government is following him and they're watching him on CCTV. Um, and at the time that was like so groundbreaking. But then like now it's just like, oh, that won't happen anymore. So I wonder what the next groundbreaking kind of movie would be mm -hmm. or like piece of fiction will be. Like, I'm just so interested in what they're going to think of next. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the way Emma said Black Mirror just threw her for a loop, I was already just like, oh my gosh, I can't even fathom how this would work. This is scary. I, I can't even yeah. finish Black Mirror. It scared me so much. <laughs> it's things you don't even think about, and they come back, and you're like, well, now I have a new nightmare to think about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, EJ, do you have anything to add about the future generation of storytellers? I think there's something that's quite critical to the future genre of storytellers. It's not just about sci-fi writers, but writers as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's that, uh, yes, we've got all this new technology that's opening up other passengers into speculative fiction, which is, which is wonderful. There's the whole element of superheroes being immensely popular over the last 10 years, uh, yeah. uh, which was previously, it was a nerdy thing that nobody was interested <laughs> in. And one of the things that annoys me about this, and first and foremost, I am a millennial. I'm heading that right up. Mm -hmm. um, um, but, but secondly, you know, you're also moving from an age and I saw this through my university degree, but also through, uh, more recently the right, my writing journey is that what you are doing is you are, uh, hearing from a, um, lesser known, uh, 
group of uh, people, mm-hmm. uh, and that's own voices, people of color, uh, female writers, as opposed to what was once. I mean, you go back and you look 20, 50 years ago, the, the 100 years ago, the most predominant writer back then was for, for, for a woman is, you know, Agatha Christie. And there's other, there's other world famous authors and lots of them women, you know, Jane Austen and all that, that. but you can pick them out in handfuls. And uh, when you think about fiction as a whole from the past, uh, as, as a written word and as a book, not as storytellers, you get a lot of old white guys. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really wonderful to see the absolute, to see all these other people having the opportunity to say, Hey, um, this, you know, LGBTQ writers, all those sorts of people having the opportunity to come forward. And I think what you're going to see with this is a wider level of acceptance for these these people and having giving them the opportunity to actually tell their stories, even if it's got nothing to do about their background. It's their opportunity to say, hey, I've got this really great story. And it's about accepting all storytellers um, and more importantly, what they sort of have to say. And uh, one of the things that's been quite uh, disappointing uh, recently was a writer who said, that's it, I'm quitting. Somebody else has written the story that I wanted to write. And it was cruel of me, but I laughed. And I laughed because um, we've effectively been retelling the exact same story over and over and over. If you delve into the story articles or story tropes, we are, there is no point stopping writing your story no matter how much you believe it's already been written because it hasn't been written by you and everybody else out there is only retelling a story that's already been told when broken down into its base levels what makes it interesting is it's from your perspective what makes it interesting is because it has experiences that only you can share with other people what makes it interesting is that yet in some regards if you break a book down to its basic tropes Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's not it's not remotely original, but when you build it up with character developments and a different idea of what love is and where it can come from, or conflict and where it can come from, or oppression and where it can come from, you end up with these really unique stories. And at the end of the day, nobody's really interested in breaking down the true meaning behind a story. They're interested in being entertained, and yeah. a lot of the time we forget that. Mm. I one of my favorite things to do is to go on I think it's tropes.com or something and they'll just have a whole list of tropes and it that's really when you start to notice like oh gosh I could tell you this entire storyline just <laughs> from the back of my hand like uh you in a video game you have like a rugged guy who is who's against the world it's everybody against him and blah 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 and it's like oh, i heard this five billion times but nobody ever really talks about it unless you go looking for it and um yeah the baseline of why i am in love with the future generation of storytellers is because i i i hate seeing that well i'm i love seeing this but you have Black Panther and you have Crazy Rich Asians, which got huge like around the same time and people were just so surprised. But I'm like, it's a it's a story. It's people people of different races and ethnicities and you know, they they that come from different backgrounds, they have similar stories. And if you just 
open yourself up to uh, finding those stories, then you're going to have a great time. So that's why I'm very excited. Honestly, yeah. it just makes me happy how successful like BTS and some like K-pop artists yes. have gotten as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had to bring it up. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty hype about that too. I, I don't really <laughs> listen to K-pop, but I have like 10 songs and I'm going to go deeper. You've, you've in- inspired me to go deeper. <laughs> Trust me, I only got in like last week because of my friend as well. So I'm getting in really deep, really oh, fast. Oh, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about this a lot. <laughs> uh, talking about diversity, DV Pit is tomorrow Uh, actually but i just wanted to know like what's your opinion on dv pit and pit mad and other type of twitter pitching events oxa so honestly like i only heard of dv pit because you told me but i absolutely (laughs) love it Uh like because i don't know if everyone who like is listening to this know what dv pit even is but Mm -hmm. where is it's a hashtag for a pitch for from writers that are unpublished that are often marginalized and underrepresented underrepresented in publishing so this is people of color disabled people people who are, have any illnesses anything like that and a hundred there's been more than a hundred creators that have actually already been signed so i love the idea of yeah. like people like honestly like me who is like a person of color mm-hmm. that like get like an opportunity every now and then just yeah. to like promote themselves mm-hmm. and especially like I'm I'm seeing like a lot of people on my feed they have like um different kind of illnesses as well and they like they say how hard it is to write with like any kind of chronic illness so I just think to give them a little bit of like not even like a push but like to raise them on the same level that everyone else has mm-hmm. it's just such a good idea and the fact that it's been successful in previous years and people have actually been published like that makes me so happy <laughs> Yeah, and it can be done from Twitter. It's amazing. Yes. Oh, that it, that just makes it like super accessible. You don't have to yeah. do like an entire little query letter and whatnot. You, it's basic. I mean, you probably will, but the <laughs> just the instantaneous value of like just writing out a quick tweet and you getting a like. It, that's just awesome. I really want to try it. I missed my goal because I said I'm doing this podcast and that is what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks. But You've I will been do it. This out though, so congratulations on that. Like I'm oh, so impressed. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh gosh, I tried. <laughs> EJ, do you have any thoughts on DV Pit? I think, like I said before, there's this wonderful opportunity inside of the uh, the writing community, but also all these agents and publishers and people who the people behind um, DevPit and, and giving the opportunity for these people to voice their, their stories and, and be heard, but also given the chance to sort of stand up and say, hey, I've got something that's from this very unique perspective because more often than not, the the idea of storytelling and where it comes from is different when you include different cultures and different ethnicities and different backgrounds, but also different experiences. Like I've really enjoyed seeing the rise of the LGBTQ fiction market because yeah. you're often, you know, it's – and this – and I'll be honest, this just really annoys me. And that's not the word I would use. I would use something far more vulgar. <laughs> but it really annoys me, the idea of having a prince uh, who's perfect and, um, you know, it, it, Prince Charming, all of that nonsense, going out and rescuing the poor, weak-willed female from her tower, tower from the evil witch or whatever it is. And it's breaking these 
older tropes and making them not popular anymore, which is what I'm really enjoying about seeing this, this, as we were discussing before, this burgeoning new, uh, new storytellers who are coming up with a whole other ways to put completely different tropes together. And, um, but also stru- stru- structural stories and to give us something new and exciting to aspire for, um, the opportunity for these writers who are struggling so much and the support that it means to them speaks of a a wider acceptance and engagement of the writing community, which I think is really important. No matter how wonderful the Disney story is or how many times that it's told, it, it can't be the only story that we tell. And it's more important nowadays than ever when society is absolutely glutted on the entertainment industry that we start diversifying the story that we're telling because ultimately these stories Stories aren't just for entertainment purposes, they're for teaching purposes. And I'd rather be involved in a world moving forward that teaches everyone has a story and it's not just the one story. I'll let you in on a secret. If you have the stereotypical Disney story and you add a little bit of diversity, I'll probably read it. I'll probably be like, yes, it's groundbreaking. It's amazing. (laughs) It doesn't change the fact that it's a... Hmm? It it doesn't change the fact that it's a really really good story not at all but it's not the only story Mm -hmm. yes uh emma do you have any thoughts well as the writing community mum you know i like to gather all my little chickens under my wings and lift people up and promote and support and what have you so for me these pitch sessions are just magical they're fantastic uh ej's covered all the the logistics of it all but for me from a uh, you know, a writing community mum point of view to see any sort of events that um, uh, give the newbies, the underlings, the the uh, um, previously, um, you know, uh, overlooked sort of um, authors and writers out there uh, a platform and an opportunity. It, it can only be a good thing. Um, and uh, so, yes, I, I get excited by by these um, pitch sessions. I love reading all the, the pitches to see, <laughs> gosh, the diversity, yes. like, like you yeah. said, the diversity of stories that's actually out there. Stuff that I haven't, I can't even imagine how they have come up with that concept, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. phenomenal. So, um, um, yes, it's uh, anything that, that is, is supportive and uplifting. Uh, we've got to, we've got to have each other's backs and, and this is one, and the dip it is one of those, um, opportunities, um, that, uh, that right, that raises people up in the writing community. So it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do exactly what you say, mom, and we'll just retweet <laughs> and block that person Don't right afterwards. Don't block the people. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> oh i'll take the, the let's take this end like we're right at the end i would like you to promote anything you want your book your blog your twitter account let us have it we will go and follow you <laughs> emma sure so um i'm all about helping the newbies on on twitter my current um pinned tweet has four of my top most read blogs um that help people uh, new people to twitter uh, twitter tips for newbies more twitter tips for newbies and i'm in the process you know i'm still muddling along as well um as i as i go along 
um, finding out other things about Twitter that works and doesn't work or, or, or new functions that I discover along the way. So hopefully really soon there's actually going to be a third series in my Twitter tips um, blogs um, just to, to um, help people um, understand the, the fuller picture of how, how Twitter works. But yes, um, if you're new, you're listening to this, you're a new writer in the writing community, or even if you're just new to Twitter, um, have a look at them. Uh, they're not written there as this is what you must do. They're written from a point of view of this is how I fumbled my way through. These are the things I've discovered. Uh, this is the functionality of Twitter. This is what happens if you do this. And this is what happens if you do that. Um, and uh, I've had such a positive response from people, from newbies on Twitter, that it's been such a helpful stepping stone for them. Um, and then, of course, the beauty for me um, is pe because people have interacted and engaged. I remember who they are. And then, I quit, you know, I occasionally go back and, and silently stalk and spy on people and yeah. people who I was their very first follow on Twitter and what <laughs> have you. And to see them having launched into Twitter and actually, um, you know, followed some of those tips and, and, and bits of advice to, to get going and grow their wings. And, and once people get going, it's wonderful. You just watch them soar, you watch them flying, you watch them interacting, you watch them doing all the right things um, and, uh, you know, and building that, that positive online presence. And, uh, and I just sit back and smile and go, you know, there's one of my little darlings who, who, um, who I, uh, I had the wonderful opportunity to, to introduce into the writing community and go, hey, here's a newbie, you know, let's, let's show <laughs> them the writing community love. I'm sure they are. They really appreciate it. I know I appreciate it. And when you go to her blog, be sure you're going to you're going to go there just to read it. But you're probably going to end up staying because it's so peaceful to watch the water in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so be prepared for that. Thank you, love. Thank you. EJ, do you have anything to plug for us? Um, only that you can find me at EJ Dawson author on my Twitter platform. My website is www.ejdawson.com. You can search through all the things that I've spoken about in the podcast today on that website. It does have a search function, but also any anything that you need to, to find out about. Uh, I'm in this interesting place where I'm past where Emma is, uh, but there's a whole other stage of uh, my writing journey that I'm starting to, to talk about as opposed to all the things that have come and the last uh, five, six years that I've been doing this. Uh, I'm opening up my beta reading through my website soon, which is a kind of a bit of an announcement that I'm making. I'm going to be... Um, I'm going to be uh, asking people over the next few days if they want to get a sample uh, beta reading slash critique uh, of their first few chapters of their novels. They'll be able to apply for that through my website because I just don't think that the... There is, there's a range of beta readers and reviewers out there who give substantial sort of uh, advice. And I know that a lot of people that I have reviewed for over the last six months has not taken what I have said uh, very well, but I do like to think that I'm honest and helpful, uh, which is the two most essential things to getting that, that feedback. So I'll be announcing that shortly, but this is the first time I'm actually talking about it. And uh, you can... Um, You'll be able to yeah, find that through my website. Uh, the other thing that I want to mention is that um, 
if you do want your book uh, reviewed, you can also you will also be able to put that through the website. Uh, but also the as part of the Indie April community thing, uh, I've said. Uh, that I will buy and review a book every week for the rest of the year, not wow. just for Indie April, because I'm a big believer and supporter in the better side of self-publishing. And if I believe that, then I better put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> so I have done that quite literally uh, at this point in time. So you'll be able to see, uh, and obviously um, I've got quite a reading list, but I will eventually buy and read all of the uh, books that I select through that list. But what I'll also be doing is part of that project is at the end of the year uh, all the books that I buy I will be giving a report out of and I will be judging okay. the, the reason why I bought that book as opposed to others because the tweets that I list every Thursday I only buy one book the reason why is because if I was to buy every book I'd never read I'd never have time to read any of them but I think it's important for by the end of the year uh, for people to have noticed what themes drove me to to buy those books and I'll be basically stating that for the most part the reason I decided to buy them was based on the story itself uh, but I think it's going to be very important for all the books that I have reviewed um, I go back and say I did not like the cover of this book it did not engage me as a reader and um, because I am such a prolific reader I think it's important to for someone as supportive and wonderful as this community is uh, if you are not pursuing a traditional route you are choosing to go for self-published for whatever the reason uh, I'm sort of trying to to do this hybrid thing with several different things that I'm creating. Um, so hybrid is when you're traditionally and self-published. Um, and I think it's important for anyone who's serious about self-publishing to be also be serious about where they might be letting themselves down. Mm. Uh, and I don't, I, I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to be cruel. I'm not going to be dismissive, but I am going to give feedback that's, that's, um, constructive but not necessarily placating people because I don't believe I believe in encouraging writers but I also believe in that constructive feedback mm. and that's where I want my engagement and my experience of the writing community to really be effective because it's it's really important that, that, that we have a range of people supporting the community in the right ways and sometimes that is to say the things that, that we don't want to hear and I've said it about my, my stories that I've written stories that are absolute crap and I've seen that after I've gotten that feedback. And I think it's one of the key weaknesses of the writing community, especially in the self-published industry, is the inability to take feedback. And it needs to be a topic that's pulled apart and made open for discussion. Um, I've, because there, it's not just about your opinion or whether or not a book is for you or not. And I actually had an editor call me out, well, maybe the book just wasn't for you. And I, and I said to them, no, this is actually my bread and butter genre. Uh, the book was just very the book was just not well edited. And um, I think it's important that this becomes more of a conversation, mostly because I believe that since the self-publishing industry has reached this en masse saturation process, um, the only way that we are going to really help the writing community, both traditionally published and indie published, is by giving this honest feedback, not as writers, but as readers. All right, thank you. As you can see, EJ is not only the aunt that is going to slip you a 50, she is also going to give you <laughs> real feedback, and we appreciate it. I'm probably going to be the first in line to try to get you to beta read, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, whatever. <laughs> Oxa, my 90s sister, do you have anything to plug? 
yeah, follow me on Twitter, Luna's Musings. Um, I would say I don't think I have much more anything interesting to say, but not even um, I'm just here for a good. I'm here for a good time. Follow my blog. See see how often I post. Like make it a thing. Um, but yeah, like I'm feeling new to the community. You can see how I'm writing. Check in, interact. Feel free to do whatever, guys. Yes, she's awesome. She we she showed me this old article of hers about um what was it romance? It was in, the, the vampire fiction. The vampire like, fiction. And I think we were kind of like. We were in love with Twilight, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you were reading it, and you're like, oh, God, yeah. Because I kind of watched, like, I kind of binge watched all, all the Twilight and then, like, Vampire Diaries, and I'm like, man, I am so sick of this. Yes, yes. Yeah, she... It's just the repetition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You dissected it to perfection. Yes? I actually would love the link for that blog, because you know what makes that especially funny for me as a 90s... Um, as a 90s child like but I was born in the 80s obviously but when I started reading was the 90s and mm-hmm. the idea of Twilight and everything that it, it represents really came about I, I think it was actually in the noughties I don't remember when it was published but the idea that you're watching the vampire series uh, that was actually the original series was written by an author called LJ Smith oh yes and she oh, yes. Yeah, yeah and she actually wrote a very different series to that publicized one and and comparing it to Twilight and you're absolutely right and it's it, not just Twilight but Buffy and everything else and I think it's an extended conversation about vampirism in fiction but yes I found that that you uh, went back and, and digressed into that and I'll be really interested to read that blog actually um because I think I'll probably agree with quite a lot of it because it's an interesting track in that <laughs> wow yeah did we perhaps just find our, well. our next topic <laughs> i think we did <laughs> thank you we so can much for like, yeah. oh, hours hours we could we could go all into it but um thank you so much for joining me on this first episode you guys are the best i could not have asked for a better panel and i'm sure everybody else will agree i love you <laughs> No, it's been really good, and thank you so much for inviting us in. It's been absolutely wonderful and a lot of really great subjects discussed.